Friends, Brian here for Yes You Can Play Guitar. Morris Hayes, longtime keyboardist for Prince and the New Power Generation. You know, this was a great interview and it was an honor talking to Morris. You know, on my Prince journey, I've learned so much about, I was so ignorant about Prince, about his history, about people who played in his band. And the interview with Morris was set up by a good friend of mine, Sam. And uh, it was great. He told us the greatest stories. And, you know, my good friend, the solitary adventurer, who is a very um, uh, cataloged and researched Prince fan who joins me in my Prince-related interviews, uh, we really enjoyed this interview. Definitely one of our better ones. And, uh, you know, Morris was just, man, he was amazing. Just some of the stories he told us, everything from, uh, you know, Matthew McConaughey, uh, working at this uh, rib joint when he was young, where he'd see him at this restaurant to uh, some of his, you know, time with Prince. It was just, he's an amazing storyteller. He's, he was just so good to talk to. This was definitely really a favorite interview. A long interview too. When we went to about three hours, you know, sometimes you get into these magical conversations with these special people and all of a sudden you look at the clock and go, Oh my God. So it was a great interview. Uh, I hope you all enjoy it. Remember, if you want to support my channel, you like content like this, remember to subscribe to my YouTube channel. And also, you know, if you want, check out my Patreon community. I've got two Patreon communities, one for my reaction, my reactions, sorry, on YouTube. Uh, and we have a lot of great conversations and extra dialogue go on there. We have a lot of Prince fans there. Uh, I also have a guitar patreon community for extra guitar lessons tips all that other stuff but anyway yeah subscribe yes you can play guitar and enjoy this wonderful interview we did with the one and only mr morris hayes Friends, Brian here for Yes, You Can Play Guitar, and it's absolute an honor and a joy today to talk to the one and only Morris Hayes, keyboards for Prince and New Power Generation. And also, we always have our good friend, friend of the channel, the solitary adventurer all the way across the pond. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Hey. All right, I'll let you start off. Okay. Thanks again, Morris. This is, uh, is going to be fun. It's uh, it's always yes, great to, uh, to get any time with you. So what we've been doing, Brian and I, is sort of approaching these these interviews as an interview with you and about your life, and then obviously you know the Prince connection that you know uh, is, is sort of something that we want to cover. It just comes about naturally. So I'm curious, how did music come into your life? Well. Um... First of all, thanks for uh, having me on here on your show and everything, and I uh, appreciate it. Um, you know, I grew up in the church, man, and uh, music has always been around me, you know, uh, uh, since I'm a kid, and just being at church and, you know, church music and everything. And then uh, my mom uh, sang at church, and she, she wanted to play piano, so she bought My dad bought her a piano, and, you know, when we were small. And so uh, once we got in our, our, our new house and, and everything, we got a piano and uh, she would play on it and press on it. 
And 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 so you know, I was just always able to like kind of go and bang on it and 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 mess around with it. And, and then it just things just started to get more and more gradually more into it as I was uh, you know going to church and kind of like started kind of playing a little bit and and then just you know uh, kind of developing into like playing at church. And, and you know, and I was pretty terrible. But uh, you know, over time, you know, they don't worry about it too much at church. You know, it's just the willingness to participate and and do your little part, you know. And it just uh, as time went on, you know, it just become more. Uh, I became more interested, and in. I was really into art. And I actually got a scholarship to university for art because uh, I like to draw. My the idea was I wanted to make my own comic books. I was really big time into like comic books and Mad Magazine and things like this. And I wanted to make my own comic books and, and everything. But as I got into college, um, I used to have to cross through the music department a lot. And I would always be late because I would stop at these various pods and hear musicians like, you know, either wailing on sax or playing the piano. There's a piano in every room. And but some people would come in and they put their guitar and amp in there and they play. And I just stop and peep through, the, you know, they get these little sliver windows and I was you know, look through the window, they'd be like, wow, you know, they're getting it in, man. And I just was, every day, man, on my way to our class, I just had to cross through there. And I just more and more just started leaning. And I finally got in a college band and, you know, and, and got in there. I wasn't that great, but I had a bunch of equipment that I could kind of collected. And so that was kind of my way in. And, and it just kind of morphed into that. It was a process, but things just started leaning more away from art uh, and, and more into the musical side. So I've got about four different avenues that I'd like to cover that. <laughs> I'm sure Brian's the same. Sure. Uh, so the, the first one is the, the art side of things. Is that something that you've, you've carried on with in the background throughout your career? Uh, you know, it's one of those things where if you, you don't lose it, you, you lose it kind of thing if you don't use it. Um, I've always, I, I've always had an eye for art and a, and a, and a and an eye for like kind of design. And then that kind of helps in music, you know, when, you, when you're looking at things and, you know, um, so I've always managed to keep that just kind of like riding on my shoulder. You know, it's like one of those kind of things that I always, I like, you know, Prince used to tell me, so, you know, I would come up with all of these different names and different types of things. He said, he told me, he said, you're really good at uh, like making up names and doing different things like that. And, and so it just was always an artistic side and uh, that I always tried to maintain and, 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 and utilize wherever it was available, you know what I mean? So that was always cool. I have a question about uh, the art aspect of it. Uh, yep. Marvel or DC? Man, growing up, um, and, and that's the thing, I was, I was a cross-platform. I was just like, right now, if you ask me Mac or PC, I say Mac. But back then, I was both. Now, Superman was like, you know, of course, for every kid back in the day. I mean, brother, I'm 60. So, you know, it wasn't like a, the proliferation of comics like it is today. It's so many things. It was just like, there was a few. There was Batman, there's Superman, there's Spider-Man, and the Hulk. And it's like, you know, and so for me, I'm an old school. I go back to the main cats. And then all of the other additions as they would come, Bro, all of my money, all of my allowance, all of my, I had the crazy, I would be a millionaire, brother. I would be a millionaire today 
had I kept those comic books, had I had any concept that this could be worth money, bro, I would be a billionaire probably by now. I had comic books stacked up. Like every, my mom was like, bro, like what is all of this crap? <laughs> like they're everywhere. Cause I would like Mad Magazine, you know, all of the different, uh, uh, I loved all of them, man. And, and that's where all of my time went. Because I and then I try to draw my own. I even made my own kind of you know like Pony Boy and you know all of these different things that I created. You know, so but I started out DC man, and I got into Marvel because of like Spider Man and like some of the other ones. Uh, but I was a DC cat starting out, man. Uh, before I forget, I just want to ask uh, Morris, what was your first keyboard? Your first electric keyboard that you got? My first electric electronic keyboard again and this is this is really dope man um i got a uh a moog satellite i knew you were going to say moog i knew it i knew it yeah uh it, it was a moog satellite and it, it was like that was awesome and then uh the other two that to to come after that would be like the cornerstone the next one was a um uh, a, a, a Fender Rhodes um, uh, 88 stage and then I got a Farfisa professional uh, that Sly Stone used to play not, it wasn't Sly Stone's keyboard but it's one like Sly used to use like yeah. it's Farfisa my grandma bought it at a flea market man at a, at like 50 bucks at a flea market and uh, I had no idea what I had, you know, you know, but it's the same one. Like I was watching Sly and the Family Stone on something, me and Prince, and Sly came on and he was playing. I said, oh, I got one of them. Prince like, you got one of those? <laughs> he said, where is it? I said, it's in Chicago. He said, you got to go get it. You got to go get it. <laughs> and somebody had stolen it. I, I, when I went to go to get it, I had a, I had, I had a, my, um, the Farfisa and a thing called a Freeman, a string symphonizer, okay. Freeman, and it's a it's a rare rare keyboard, and I regret greatly that I left it in that in that storage because it was gone when I got back to Chicago to go collect. Both of them were gone. Mm -hmm. Somebody broke in and stole it, and I don't even know how long they had been stolen. You know, uh, but that that Freeman was crazy, man. It's it's like have a unique sound. I've never heard anything else like that. I don't know of any models of it that's out. I have to check around because it had a very in interesting. It was like a kind of like an ARP Omni, but it just was the kind of brown and boxy, you know, wood. It was like wood. It was crazy, man. And yeah, I, I wish to God because that would be so. I would again would be rich because it's so rare, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that was my first one was a Moog, man. Neat. And I and I always, uh, I always loved it, you know. Did you ever try any other instruments uh, other than keyboards and piano? Yeah, I mean, I mess with drums a little bit. I I I practice. You know, I have a drum set. I have like three drum sets now, and I'm you know I'm I can make a beat, but I'm not you know proficient like enough to play a drum gig at it. But I would play drums with Prince one time when he wanted to groove and this is me and him around. He wanted to play bass or play guitar. I just put a beat. <laughs> The only problem with Prince is, man, he jammed for like three hours, man. I'm like, bro, I'm not a real drummer. I can't. I get bored. No more I get bored, 
And number two, I'm not that great. And he, Prince is like, man, he's intense, man. So he like, he's serious business. You know, I pissed him off like one time in his house, man. He was really mad because I just kept getting bored and I kept changing up the groove, man. And he just put his guitar. He said, Morris, he said, if you're gonna if you're gonna play, man, respect the instrument, man. Like, do it right, man. And just play the play the groove. And I'm like, bro, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a drummer. I'm not. <laughs> he was deadly serious. He was deadly serious, man, about like respecting the instrument. If you're gonna play it, play it. If you're not, then don't, you know, we'll we'll I'll figure something else out. I'll play drums, but if you're gonna play, man, play. You know, that's the way he was, you know, he just wanted to whatever you picked up, you wanted you to play the, the do the best you could on it all the time, man. All the time. It ain't no jacking around at any point. It's like play it like you mean it and do it right. You know, that's yeah. where he was with it. Yeah, that, that puts me in mind of uh, something that Levi Seacher said about uh, mm. wishing Prince good luck before they went on stage. And Prince sort of snapped at him. You know, like, there ain't no such thing as good luck. We've put the practice in. Yeah, that's why we're going to be good. Um, man, I can't believe Levi told him that, man, because Levi ought to know better than that one. I, I, as soon as you said it, I just went, he said, what? I'm like, oh, God, no, not the Prince. Yeah, Prince would correct you on that one, man, for sure. Speak to that. What what was it about him? Is it just a, a work ethic, the Midwestern work ethic, or is it something more? I I I I didn't grow up in the Midwest, so I'm not really sure about the uh, Midwestern work ethic. What I do know is, as a Prince work ethic, that uh, this cat was an anomaly, and I think, but 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 only in the sense that. I've, I've since I've been around Prince, I've met a lot of other celebrities, and they share a common thing, a common thread between anybody that's at the top of their game. There's a there's a very similar line of things that goes through them, like the Browns and the Whitney Houston's and the uh, Stevie Wonders, and all of those people. They share a common thread, man. They all are are perfectionists in terms of they want to be the best at everything that they're doing, and and when you when you uh, want to be the best, that means you have a work at you work longer than anybody, you work harder than anybody. Like everything is is a detail that has to be addressed, and all of those types of things. And they they're obsessed with uh, uh, the amount of time that they put in, and and, and the people that work with them. And they, they demand the best out of all of the people that's around them. I don't care what part of it it is, whether it was music whether you worked in wardrobe, whether you worked in accounting, whether you worked in wherever it was, if you were working with us, you were at the height of your game. I don't care if you were the freaking janitor. You had, like, everybody had a, a level of quality that they had to operate at uh, in order for him to be cool with having you around because he wanted everybody to hold up their end of the deal, man. And that was important. He told me one time, I, and we were just, like, playing these house parties, man, so many house parties. Like, we turned down, like, really high paying gigs just because he just wanted to jam at the house you know i kind of had a bad night one night and they just you know just messing around and just hit a few dog notes man and prince was like he cleaned my clock brother and was like hey man 10 or ten thousand. every show is the same man we do the best i don't care if it's 10 people here or ten thousand. you play the same show man period there ain't no slack you know, because everything you do, the last thing you do is how you judge. 
And if you come out here playing notes, dog notes, man, and, and, and technical issues and stuff, he said, man, people remember that, man. And it's just once it's out there, it's in the ether. And he don't like it to be anything less than the best you got. You know, um, that's just the way he was. I, I heard you say uh, in other conversations about you knew your place in the room or you knew your place in the band. Sure. Now, having been like on a much yeah. smaller level, a regional musician, I get that. I understand it. Um, so that tells me a lot mm -hmm. about you were very easy to work with and you had a good personality and you're very professional. But that knowing your place, do you think some people, you, we don't have to mention names, but do you think that's something that you've seen people sure. struggle with? Absolutely, brother. The two biggest things that I see people that, that that struggle with, especially with Prince, is you. Number one, you don't know your place in the room, and you don't know the guy that you're working for. Those are two two big big issues and two big things. You know, Prince. Uh, I'm a man, bro. I grew up listening to uh, as a kid. Before I even really could play, man, I just I you know I had a gift unrealized, you know. I liken it to like, you know, Superman before, you know, you had superpowers and stuff, you know, it's just like, you know, you could do certain things other kids can do. When I would put on my, I lived out here in the woods, man. And um, in this very house that I'm in now is where I grew up. And uh, we didn't, we were out in the middle of nowhere, brother. And, and we didn't have like AM radio was sucked for the R&B station, but the, but the FM stations that played rock and roll was clear as a bell. And I used to have these headphones. I put these headphones on, man, and I'd just be like grooving, man. And, and I and my brother was a DJ, so whenever he'd buy albums, or I'd go and, and, and or, or go in a record store, I would pick up albums and read credits to all of the songs I like, like Steely Dan and like the uh, Led Zeppelin and all of these different ones, J Jimi Hendrix, all of the different ones that I would listen to on the rock and roll side, Super Tramp, all of these people. I would I would pick up the thing and and read the, the, the credits. And, and, and what I kept seeing was these familiar names that kept showing up on everybody's records, like Greg Filling Gaines and, and, and like, you know, Al Schmidt and like all of these cats who were like engineers. And, and cause I just wanted to know like who, and then it just started being like, wait a minute, this guy's playing on this, but he's playing on Stevie Wonder. He's playing on Michael Jackson. He's playing over here. You know, you got all of these cats that you know, like Donald Fagan would use uh, uh, like these these session guys that are just like, you know, and then I'd see Jerry Hay. And I'd see like all of these cats that's like on these records and then all of these people. And so that was a big deal for me. And, and um, you know, so when I got to like uh, to the Prince thing, you know, I had already like understood a lot of the people and a lot of the stuff. And I was like a fan of these people, you know, like, and, and, and so... Uh, I understood that I was not Chick Corea. I was not Herbie Hancock. You know, I was more on a technical side. When I got into music, you know, to, uh, I was more of a geek in terms of like synthesis and stuff, you know, uh, and, and, and that's where my love kind of fell. You know, Barbarella is a, is a technical, he can play, man. He, he can read music. You put a sheet of music in front of him, man, he goes. It's like pow, pow, pow. Renato Neto, same. Pow, pow, pow. You know, these kids been read music since they're five years old. You know, I didn't do it that way. I kind of got into music. I'm a late bloomer. I got of got into like college. A lot of people from my high school, when I, you know, I'm from a small town, man. And so, of course, when people start seeing you on TV and they're like going, wait a minute, 
Morris Hayes, the dancer, the dancing bulldog. They're like, yeah, you know, he played with Prince. They're like, play what? Like, it's like the dancing dude. He with Prince. It would be this crazy, like, well, how did that work? Where did that come from? You know, because I was a late bloomer and, and I got into it, but I got into when Prince first had me uh, doing this thing with this band with the for the Glam Slam for his club. Um, I remember him asking me, I had two keyboards, man, uh, and, and a couple little things in the rack. And he was like, man, how are you getting that sound? Like, like you got this big sound, but you only got a couple of things over there. And I just said, oh, man, I just, you know, I just know how these two keyboards really well. And I know how to layer stuff. I know how to, you know, play these chords. And he just was like freaked out that I knew how to get number one, that I had attention to detail when it came to recreating sounds. And, 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 and the technology. And I got into that. And that was the piece that interested him in me. It's like I came from church, I had a gospel kind of flavor, but I also knew this technology. One of my greatest claims to fame to this day that will that that is my best, and it's not even something that everybody knows, it's just to me. I know it. Is Prince came to my rehearsal uh, with my with my group, and we're playing two of his songs in our set. You know, we're playing cover stuff. So we playing the you know time and whoever else we're playing. But we had two Prince songs in the set, and I had taken I had a sampler that was dedicated to when I hit my put my finger on a key and stepped on the sustain pedal. I had a drum loop, and I put these two drum loops on the Prince songs. Seventeen days I put a a, 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 a European group a TKA. I, I put a loop under his track and it blew his mind. He was like, whoa, 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 stop the press. He went back and told Levi, and Levi called me and said, man, what, what did you do? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, uh, he says, man, Prince came in here and says, stop the presses. Morris is over there playing our songs, and he's got loops under our songs. He's got these tracks under, and he says, we got to do that, but use our own tracks to put under our music. I just took some other people's beats and then put 17 Days on the top of it and blew his mind, man. That is the way he did it for the rest of his career. From that yeah. point on, he said, I, he says, I don't want Tommy or Rosie doing it. He said, put it in Michael Bland stuff so that he can play it. And, and, and so he could just put that in the drum rig. I played it because I would DJ it. I would like take the sample and like. And he was like, oh, my God, that's crazy. And, and and decided that that's what he was going to do. And from that day forward, uh, even before I got in the band, they started playing loops. His own, he'd go in the studio and take the beats for, you know, for, uh, uh, what was the one uh, that I really loved? Uh, Dorothy Parker. Take that so he could put every four bar clip of all of those songs in Michael's drums. And then Michael could trigger them on a pad and trigger them on a foot switch. And then now it sounds like the record. You know, that's that's yeah. one of the things. And then Prince did that until they until he was until he was gone. Yeah. And he had that piano uh, set up, didn't he? Where you could trigger those very same samples yeah. off the keys. Yeah, the, I, that, I put all of those samples, I chopped all of those up and put them in his keyboard. And I had a gold keyboard that I had to di I did the same thing with the open labs keyboard that I had. And I put all of those samples on buttons on this thing, and I had them at uh, at his house. And all he had to do was just hit the button. I had a ten minute track 
for each one. And on each track, I put a, an ending to where like, once it got to the end, if he decided like he wanted to jam a long time, I even, I told him, I said, Prince, I set this up where each one of these tracks are gonna run for 10 minutes. So if you just get happy, you know, and, and it's gonna be a, a swell. Once you hear that swell, you got four bars before the bomb explosion happens. So no matter where you are on the stage, when you start hearing that, he knows where the end's gonna be and he's counting bars and he'll finish it just like he planned it that way. You know, that was just the setup. And and, he, and I put him on his keyboard that way. All he had to do was hit the note and hold a sustained patch. And then I also did splits so that I'd put a clav on top so that he could play a clav and it wouldn't hold, but the sample would hold. You know, just by putting, you can set the keyboard up to split where only this part down here sustains when you hold the pedal and this part up here does not. So you can jam on top of your groove. And man, it was like. Yeah. Well, that, that explains the so, And so to get back to your, to get back to your statement, understanding my, my place is that, that I don't have to solo. You know, I don't have to get a solo. Tommy did that very well. You know, Renato did that very well, but he would give me some occasionally, but that wasn't like my thing. Michael Bland used to tell me all the time. He said, I hate soloing. But when he did it, he killed it. You know, he was annoyed. Oh, I'm like, you don't like the solo and you solo like that? I mean, I'm like, God dang, that's crazy, bro. But that's what he said. He said, I don't like doing solos. You know, Michael's a pocket drummer. He's all about timing. He's about like clock. He is a clock. He's like Bernard Purdy. You know, his whole thing is like chop, chop like this. I used to have John Blackwell tell me like, I'm gonna whoop Michael Bland. I'm gonna whoop him. I said, I'm gonna, I said Black. You will never whoop Michael Bland unless you figure out how to come back on the one and your time and, you know, between tricks, biting the sticks and twirling, flirting. I said, all that look cool. It's, it's, I give you kudos, but you will never whoop Michael Bland until your tempo is on the money. That's what Michael Bland was about. And, and, and you know, and that was my little bro. And I just tell him the truth because that's what it does. That's the reality of it. And, and more than anything else, your job is like, as Bernard Purdy would say, my job is to keep time, brother. That's what my job is. And that's what your job is, you know, to keep time. And so I said, that's where, that's where you will fall down when you try to whoop Michael Bland, because he don't always come in on the one. There was a song that Michael did that Prince said, okay, Michael, I want you to play everywhere but the one. Don't hit the one. Hit the two, hit the three, four, but don't hit on the one. one. And it's it's called ass whooping in a trunk. <laughs> and if you want to get your head twisted, go find that song and Michael Bland will make you throw up your lunch meat. I'm telling you right now, it's crazy. Sorry, go Very ahead. quick one. Were you ever tempted to sample Michael so that when Prince said you jump on the drums, you could maybe trigger a loop and freak him out? Yeah, I well, what it is, is uh, you know, Mike and Sonny made these, these discs, uh, they, they, you know, uh, uh, smooth ass grooves and, and funky loops, you know, that, that they did and that that has Sonny and Mike. Because one day, uh, I, I, you know, we were at rehearsal, man, and I came in and Sonny and Mike were just trying to trick each other and grooving and uh, just killing, just playing stuff like. And they were just right. And I'm like, I'm sitting there and I'm standing at the door and I'm just, I'm like, oh my God, these dudes. Prince walks in 
Like I'm standing at the back door. I just stand in the door and just stop at the door and just listen to him. And then about a couple of, maybe a minute later, Prince walks in and said, what's happening? And I said, man, I said, I'm Sonny and Mike up here, man, trying to trick each other. And uh, and they just, it's crazy, man. I'm just, this doesn't make any sense. I said, we should make a record. Prince goes, yeah, we should make a record. He turns around. There's a phone on the back wall at the soundstage. That's like right by the doors when you walk in to the left. He goes over to the phone, calls Ray in the studio and those guys and Magoo and all these guys. He says, uh, get some guys over. Come set up all the gear in Studio A. We're going to make a record. Go get some tape from the bait, from the, from the uh, vault. And we're going to go make we'll make Just like that, bro. <laughs> and people start moving. Just like that. That's Exodus. That's that record that came out of that. Because I told him, I said, man, this is crazy, man. Sonny and Mike, just stupid. They just in here. They trying to trick each other out the groove. And they can't even do it. They can't trick themselves out of timing and out of and just cause they're just reading minds. These two dudes are just locked to a point that it's just like, and Prince said, okay, so then yeah, we'll make a record just like that, bro. And then just make a call. And then a bunch of people start running around like ants, you know, like to fix what he said. So there's a crew now moving all the equipment out. We just in the middle of just doing that thing. They just say, okay, tear it all down, move it into studio A. And I'm like, God dang, man, this is crazy. So, we have a, a really awesome Patreon community. There's a lot of really, uh, really intense Prince fans there. It's a wonderful community. Uh, I have a lot of questions from them for you. I'm going to throw in from time to time as we're talking. Sure. Since we're on this topic, uh, I'm going to ask you a question from a, a Patreon. We have U.S. agent. He says to me, he said, who did Morris prefer as a drummer, Michael Bland or John Blackwell? I know I'm putting you on the spot. Well. Here's the thing. I, I never like to really get into to 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 comparisons and things like that because I always, man, I love all of my bandmates, yeah. uh, and they both had different things that uh, that made them what they were. Both of them are great drummers. I, I again, I like Michael Bland. I always tell the truth. I like Michael Bland because Michael uh, paid attention to tempo, and with Prince, that's you know, that's everything. Michael's tempo was just like, I asked him to play a 95 BPM beat one time. Just, I just say, Mike, play 95. And I turned on the, 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 the tempo. It, I, it was 95, bro. Now, wow. Michael and Sonny both have perfect pitch. They have perfect pitch, all right? I get that. They got perfect pitch. Uh, Prince didn't have perfect pitch, but he had, like, incredible relative pitch. You could play a, you know, if you played a, a, an A, he knew where C was now. If you played the A, that was his reference key, and now Prince knew where where C was. Great reference uh, pitch. But Mike and Sonny had this thing. They could just tell you uh, what what pitch a fart was in, because I saw him do it once. And and Sonny said, it's almost in B flat. It's like right between B and B flat. And I just said, bro, this is crazy. Like, this is crazy. But Michael was that about tempo. That was important to me playing samples live and without a sequencer because we didn't use tracks. We played to a click, uh, I mean, to a loop, a sample loop. And I had, that had to match up everything. And then there was a few songs that did not have a loop that Mike had to know what that tempo was. Because if he didn't, my samples wouldn't match. And that is incredible to me. 
John was an extraordinarily great show drummer. He had all of these techniques and all of this stuff that it was very flashy and very showy-like, you know? But I struggled with him sometimes just making sure tempo was there because that's my job. I have to make sure, like, Black, you got to come back in on the one. You got to come, I got to know where that tempo is. And that's, we would have this back and forth about that a lot of times. And him and Rhonda sometimes would have a little, you know, think of, because Rhonda's about timing too. Her timing is like crazy, you know? And so we would have that from time to time. So I I, I love, Black had this very wonderful attitude about him, you know, playing and everything. He's been very, hey, 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 big bro, I'm gonna do this, do this, do this, do this. So he's just like that little kid is always yeah, like, okay, man. But I think when it when it comes to the lock of the drummers that I played with, Sheila is amazing, you know, and, and a lot of the drummers, Cora Coleman, you know, she was great. But Michael Bland just had this thing, you know, just this mm-hmm. where his his he was very sharp about what it is that he needed to do. Michael could, the other thing that I thought was amazing about Michael, and I'm going to try to keep my answers succinct, but I want people to get as much information as they can. One of the things about Michael, if you ever go in any of our uh, uh, shows where we like Top of the Pops or some of the music videos uh, where we weren't playing live, uh, Prince would be live, but some of the shows like Top of the Pop, it's like, you know, the band is like, you know, we got a track and stuff. But Prince's stuff would always be hot, his vocals, his guitars, and whoever else that needed it. Now, that would be hot. But what Michael did is you couldn't tell looking at him because he could play exactly every note that he played in the original recording. If you look at him play drums, you cannot tell he's not playing because he plays every lick just like the record. That's wow. incredible to me. Yeah. That's incredible. Like, you know, especially you're talking about Shush. I mean, he could write that music out. That's music, man. It's like you can write it out and play it back so somebody can read those notes. Mike can play that solo just like he wants, just like the record if he wants to. And that's that was like, I'm just like, I'm out of my pay grade right now, bro. I'm like way out of it. I don't I don't even know how cats think like that. Michael Bland is a freaking genius, you know. So I I I have a great love for Michael. And 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 you so, know, of course, him being the, the guy that was there when I came in. Yeah, absolutely. And can I ask that uh, sort of a pivot on what you've just said? That uh, drum break that Michael did, and it sort of defines what it is to be a Prince drummer. Because every drummer who came mm-hmm. after, you know, John, Cora, Hannah, they all they yeah. all had to take that that solo and recreate it as best they could. Is there something yeah. that you've played where you look at, you know, the people who were in the band in the stints that you weren't, where you think, oh, okay, you know, they managed to decode something that I've done? My my thing was, man, I always like to find something cool, like I, 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 that that I could play that was like a thing that make Prince turn his head and go like, yeah, 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 that right there. And I, I did it like an I Hate You and just some things like that with the, some of the Hammond stuff and some of the organ stuff, you know. You know, the, the whole thing with just holding a high note, play all your stuff while you hold a high note, things like that, that were just simple things that made the song lift or and go up and down and, and, and add energy to it, you know, things like that, man, that just gave uh, a lot of, of, of uplift to the music, you know. And so 
I'm not really, I don't consider myself a keyboard player that's like I've done these incredible forces. I used to enjoy, for me, for me, what made my job a lot of fun is because, you know, there was a stint of where for one time I was the only keyboard player in Prince's band, which had, that, that was crazy because I was the first cat, I think, that ever was in a band with Prince that I was the only keyboard player. And Prince's stuff is keyboard heavy. So I had a task uh, in the late 90s to like reproduce all of Tommy's parts, my parts. And I had to deploy a lot of like, you know, things and like be able to do that. Like sample like lines and things and still play all of my parts, man. It was hell, man. I don't even know. I think about it now and I go, how in the hell did I even do it? You know, because it was so much stuff. There was some complexities to it. I had to learn all of these things. But uh, but there's some parts that I, that I did on some you know music with the Hammond and with some of the stuff that I that I enjoyed because it changed the sound of the of the band you know because adding that churchy component in the Hammond to that level not that he hadn't put organ on some other tracks I mean Adore is one of his dopest tracks and he's got that organ thing going on it you know and a lot of tracks but it just wasn't like the center part of the sound it just was a thing that happened on the record here and the record there. But by the time I came around the sound, you know, with Tommy on the Whirly and the Rhodes and me on the organ was just really a thing. And it just was in that sound and music for that duration of time that we uh, that we were together, you know? So that, I, I appreciate that, man. And I, and I like the fact that, that, but what was great for me is that Prince always had some real, he had some cool keyboard players and he had some real dope ones, you know, like Cassandra O'Neill, and 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 Barbarella and 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 Bernardo Neto. Neto used to just. I told Neto, I said, bro, I'd just be glad to come to work just to hear what you're gonna do today, because he could just do whatever he felt like. He's just like it, just bananas, you know. I, I love my teammates, man, and it just like Prince would describe to me how we were as a band was like what the the winning Chicago Bulls when they would setting up their dynasty. Prince was like, we always tell me, Mrs. Morris, we got to look at ourselves like the Chicago Bulls. You know, Michael Jordan was one of his favorite players as like many people uh, until Steph Curry, you know, got around and Steph became one of his favorite. But but he always liked the the, the, the team aspect of the Chicago Bulls. He said, Morris, I'm, you know, I'll shoot the three. You're you're Dennis Rodman. You, you get the rebound, yeah. you kick it out. He said, everybody's got a role to play. Everybody's got a part to, to put in. One of our favorite songs that we used to do was In Time, Sliding the Family Stone. And that song is, is one of the funkiest songs in the world because if you separate everybody's parts out, it sounds like a bunch of chicken scratch. Hmm. And with the exception of maybe like the bass, it's like, you know, you got a, one guitar going, chink, little chink. And it's like, and then the horn, bang. And it's just like these little pieces of he got a part, he has a part, she has a part, and it's in the in the bass is what that's what's going through the track. That's like the co cohesive part of it, and what the bass and drums is doing, which is always your foundational piece. But that song is funky because of the orchestration and everybody's part in it, and so that's what I was there. Prince always used to call me the glue. He said, Morris, you know what to do. Just fill up the, the spots. You know, you're the glue. Put this in here and do this over here and just listen to what's happening and find a place to fit in. And it's just like he knew how to delegate 
parts to people. He knew your strengths. He knew your weaknesses. I wasn't a great soloist. You know, that's not my really my thing. But I had to, to play these complex samples and, and different things and, and play these parts. He used to do, I remember Lenny used to hang out with us a lot, Lenny Kravitz. And uh, he'd come over and hang out. And Prince would just tell me more. Just play your parts on this song. Just your parts. And, and, and it would, you know. I'd play it and Lenny be like, God dang, I, all of that is just by yourself? That's all of you? And he, he said, how do you do that, Morris? And then, then Prince said, ancient Chinese secret. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he'd be like that. You know, he'd say that because, because he said, he said, that's what each cat is bringing to. Now, when I add the other key, when I add Barbarella, it's going to even get more stupid because now Tommy's got his stuff to, to bring to it. And so it was just and knew where you landed in that, in that, that uh, uh, collection. So that was the big. Uh, I wanted to say, uh, Morris, you talked about something earlier. I don't know if a lot of the non-musician viewers would really maybe don't quite understand. I, I've played in some bands with some keyboards and, you know, I have a little idea of some of the advancement. We were talking about Moogs in the seventies, but then the eighties yet, you know, MIDI comes in mm -hmm. and the patching and looping. Like, I don't know if people really understand how much work that is to be constantly keeping up with the technology and new patches and new sounds. Uh, that, that sounds like you had a hell of a workload on you. Uh, I'm a, uh, but I'm going to tell you where the genesis of it is. When I was uh, going to school in Chicago, I used to go to DeVry in Chicago. And, uh, you know, computer school is kind of tough, man. And, I mean, I was in it and doing it. You know, I got recruited by this guy that was saying, computers is the future. All right. You're going to learn to do computers. That's the future. I said, computers, huh? They're going to take over. <laughs> I said, all right. I'm game. I, I try computers. what it do. To do, man. God bless this guy. His name is EJ. He was a manager at the Guitar Center in Chicago on the south, south side. And EJ would let me come in because I didn't have any really uh, gear at the time in Chicago. Um, and, and I didn't have uh, things that, you know, so I had to go to the Guitar Center to kind of get my fix. I was one of them irritating dudes that would be down there playing the Prince tracks or whoever. And, you know, and and I got the chance to try out all of the new stuff that came in because I couldn't afford any of it. But, I, you know, the Moog, uh, uh, Memory Moog, all of that stuff, the, 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 the uh, Oberheims. And, man, I would be playing this stuff. And he just said, man, you should come and work here. You're selling more stuff than the guys that work here. Wow. You're just playing, and people are buying this stuff. Just like, yeah, that's dope. Give me that keyboard. And he said, you should, I said, I can't work here, man. I don't have time. I got school. But I appreciate you letting me come in here and just study, like, what all of this stuff is. You know, they let me have a run of the place, and, and they were super cool and patient with me. I wouldn't be obnoxious, but they just let me have it. And that's what really got my side of the technology side, like, uh, really cool, because I got to quickly see all of the new equipment, figure out how it works, talk to the experts that were there at the guitar center that, that helped me out with, with, you know, at that young age, man, and kind of dealing with it, man. And, and, and they were just so cool, man. And, and that's what really got me into it. So I always wanted to be on the cutting edge of like what was happening, not the bleeding edge, but the cutting edge. And so it was funny because when I came in after, you know, Prince saw me doing the whole looping thing, when I got in, I inherited a rig that Rosie was playing and it had like an Emacs and some other stuff in it, some, Proteus, like some stuff. 
And now all of that stuff to me was like, bro, I had a rolling at that time. I had did it like a publishing deal with these guys and I had like a rolling 770 and, um, and like this thing is like $8,000. This, oh, yeah. this, this sampler. And I managed to get a deal on it. This thing's crazy. So I told Prince, I said, Prince, no, no, no disrespect, but you know, your gear sucks. I like my stuff is better than yours and your Prince. And he said, well, fix it. You know? <laughs> so what I did was I had him, I had the, the Skip Johnson, who was our production manager at the time. Skip was married to Grace Slick, by the way. I always used to say, hey, Skip, that's married to Grace Slick. You know, that, that was our guy. And so uh, I told Skip, I said, Skip, uh, Prince said for me to fix this rig because, you know, your sampler samples at 39.7 uh, uh, kilohertz. And I said, that sucks. I have to convert all of the samples uh, into mine, which I call Roland or, or my text call Roland. And, and and said we need to we need a converter program that will convert all of these samples that Rosie had into 44.1 uh, that I'm going to be using on this sampler, and and it was a thing, man. They created a a, a patch for us to use on to create the the, the to cross all our samples out of that Emacs into uh, into our Roland, and so yeah. once I fixed all of the gear, man, that's when Prince was like, oh, so you can do because I said yeah, man, my stuff's killer, yours suck. And then he was like, okay, we'll fix it. And then he felt once he saw the, the capacity and the capability of it, he says, oh, you can do that? Okay, okay, so then you can do this and that and this and this and that. And then I really found out I'd screwed up because I ran my mouth too much. And now he was like, okay, great, uh, uh, wizard. Now you can do this and that and the other. And I had to like remember and then max out what I knew about that stuff. That's, he always was in the future. He always, I remember Bobby Z coming and seeing me uh, doing my thing and what we were doing. And Bobby said to me, this is what he wanted to be doing back when we were the band. This is what you're doing right now is what he wanted us to do back then. <laughs> that, that's funny. I got my guy, uh, Jerome, Jerome Benton, give me a holler right there. Oh, Hello, Jerome. Jerome. Yeah. Anyway, um, um, yeah. That was so the that's, thing. That's so I, I so I got into it a long time ago, and I just really it just been a part of my whole thing is the technology with the looping and the sampling and all of that stuff. I, I play a game with myself at times where I take one of the the tracks from one of the later albums and see if I can substitute it on something you know maybe from the eighties and see mm -hmm. you know because in my opinion I don't think he, he suffered from any sort of degradation. You know po his popularity went up and down. His talent was sure. the same throughout the, the years. I, I know that obviously you you were something of a fan before you ever came into the oh, yeah. Purple Orbit. What type of fan mm -hmm. were you? Uh, I was the type that I appreciated the musicianship of of Prince. I remember uh, my brother had some of his records, and I would play it. And I remember like Head. I just listened to the solo and what Matt Fink did on head. I was just like, God, dog, this is crazy. Like, just that was one of the, the cold blooded solos I've ever, you know, like, I'm like, this dude has a groove on this song that was just like, as Mark Brown would say, congruous. It was a crazy groove. And then when that solo happened and how Matt used the filter to be, and then he used Portamento only in certain places. It's like he crafted a solo 
that was like uh, dynamic because of it just wasn't like he just played off a bunch of notes and did a bunch of stuff. He actually had like stuff where he gave you a master class in synthesis, how to take filters real time and use them like a, you know, use a cutoff or resonance and or just a pitch thing, or, you know, just, just go in and do that. So for me, it was like, how did he do that? What did he use to make the, the, the this? And then when he, when he got, went up to the top of the keyboard, he knew when to turn the portamento on so that when it went, and then the LFO, he had to turn the LFO to where that would, at the higher uses of it, would completely go wacky. Because I noticed that that was something that Prince used to like to do in order to make his sounds different from anybody else's on that keyboard. He turned the pitch wheel on and leave it up high so that everything is like dreamy and and that's because he just would turn up the pitch wheel and leave it up like, like Dorothy Parker. He took the Fender sound and then pushed up the, uh, the, 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 the modulation wheel and then just played the chords on it. And now he's got a totally different sound. You're going like, like listen to Warbly that keyboard is, that, that, that DX7. And and I knew all of the keyboards. The minute I hear a keyboard, I know what it is. It's like that's a DX7, and he's got the port. He's like, but instead of just using it a little bit, he just turned it on full blast and just started playing it. You know, mm -hmm. I used to love the the uh, the, uh, the the Prince used to have these these incredible, incredible Fairlight synthesizers. It was like way out of my pay grade. I didn't even see Fairlights at the guitar center. So there are these, these high-end keyboards, these, these incredible samplers. And it wasn't until I started playing stuff off of a Sign of the Times where I had to go to the vault and get the tapes. And I got the, the tapes and I'm like asking the engineer, I'm like, where's the rest of the track sheets? Like, where are the rest of this track sheet? It's only 16 tracks. Like, where's the rest? He said, that's it. I said, what? I said, you're telling me Sign of the Times, all this stuff, 16 tracks? And I'm like, what the... And so Prince had got this fair light and he was like enamored with this thing. And so all of that stuff, a lot of that's the fair light. And what I found that he did like on Sign of the Times itself, we used to have these big arguments with the guitar player. I used to have these arguments like we're trying to decipher these chords because of the cover band I played with, they wanted everything to sound like the record. So they want to know exactly, I would have not in a million years figured out that what Prince did was he went on the fair light and on the on the on the pre-chorus, he just hit the lowest sample and held it. And just over time, serendipity, just you know, synchronicity, whatever you want to call it, the chord would change just because it's going just but over time that is changing over the and I was like, oh my God. So we were all wrong. It's just like he didn't play it that way. The sample evolved that way. He put it down and held it until the whole pre-course went over it and it just, everything fell in the right place. And I just was like, holy shit, this is crazy. I'd never would have figured it out in a million years, man. And it made the song what it was, that chord pad, you had to just try to redecipher it in your own way because that, you would never do it in a million years because that sample was played like two or three times lower than what the actual original sample was. And he was just smart enough to do that and just make it sound unique like that. So that's the kind of stuff. And I always got off on that because it's like, 
how did he think of that? I mean, like, how did he think of it? And just like, and there's just tons and tons of examples of records that he did where he did some kind of trick. He used to have a thing called a Publisan. And this Publisan was a piece of gear that's like, it's 20 grand, 15, 20 grand or something, like crazy amount of money for this effect. And it would do things like samplers at the time couldn't do like same pitch, but different speed or same speed with a different pitch. And he would play like horn lines that the horn section did not play that he would read, you know, just hit different samples and hit them in certain places. And, and it would completely reharmonize or re, re uh, change all of the way that, that the parts were going that, that, that now made the horn players sound like they were geniuses. It was just, you know, just crazy like that. Did you, um, with, with, when your time uh, with MPG, did you stick with Roland or did you experiment with like Korg or other brands of keyboards? Oh yeah, I mean, I used to, I, I used a lot of Roland. I, I just, at the time, Roland just had just some like some meaty stuff, man. And Prince liked Roland at the time. We, we you know, he, he, he actually kind of like got me to where I just wanted to like choke him sometimes because he would just really just overuse. I like using a lot of different stuff because everything's got different textures to it, you know? Like Korg sounds different from Yamaha. Yamaha sounds different from Korg. So it, when I first got in, we were using Yamaha controllers, uh, the KX series stuff uh, that didn't really make any sounds. They were just controllers. And then I had a rack full of like gear. Like I did use like a, you know, like some emu stuff. And I used some of the, but then when I found the Rollins, I've had multi-timbral type of situation where I could use eight tracks. And I had a op, I, had, I was using some Apple, some, some Mac computers, using opcodes, uh, studio, studio fives, and, and was using uh, uh, their mapper, basically their mapper so that I could take all of my keyboards and my setup, which I had about six, and I could map them out to, to, to do some of the craziest stuff. I had Paul McCartney's people like say, dude, how are you doing this? Can, will you send us your, you know, your, your algorithm, how you, how you like, do this thing? It was, it was crazy, man. And, yeah. and so what I was able to do was, was put all of these, I had three samplers because we were playing Claire Fisher string arrangements. Like my whole one whole sampler would be just Claire's part from the song. And then I had another sample sampler that would preload to the next song so that they would instantly, because it took 30 seconds to, to load a fully blown 32 gig 760. It took about 30 seconds for that to load up. Prince goes from song to song like yeah. this. There is no time to load. So I had to have three samplers so that one could be loading while one's playing and they would do that one and then the next one. So they would skip from sampler to sampler. Uh, so that they would automatically be from when I hit the switch on my uh, LRC, uh, my Lexicon LRC, that thing would switch all of the keyboard patches, all of the samplers would preload. That's why I told Prince, I said, Prince, I got to have a set list, bro, because I have to program this, you know, because he changes the set every show. And so I need to know which load number is on the sample so that I can make sure that that loads up because you go directly I can't change like, okay, what patch am I using on this one, this one, <laughs> this one. That's, bro, that's like a nightmare. It's yeah. like you're having six stump boxes and you got to change them all six different things at once. Yeah. Ain't gonna, you got to go click, 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 pow, pow, ping, ping, pow, pow, and in the dark and then with the lights going out and the 
I, you don't have time for that, man. So I had to know what was. I just was begging, like, please, 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 for the love of Christ, Prince, I need to have this so I can kind of arrange this to where I know what's happening. And sometimes you just go with the flow, and I just had to figure it out. I, I, I then that's when you spend extra time at, at, on your own with your rig, memorizing where uh, the. I had a, a jukebox basically, 127 positions where I could put songs, and I can tell you every slot was filled. Wow! Sometimes I'd have to ask him, "What can I get rid of to to uh, to put some new stuff in?" I said, "Prince, I'm maxed out. I, I need to know what I need to get rid of, so I can add these new songs." We got in a really big fight one time because he kept asking for stuff, and I said, "I don't have any more room," and he's like, "Well." I, uh, we got into this real big. I won't go into it because it was kind of ugly. Because uh, I had to, I, you know, I'm six foot five, and sometimes, you know, he he can wear you out. But he had got my goat this day, and I was like, I'm not trying to feel it today, brother. And, and we're gonna have a problem. It's gonna be some furniture moving around. So I, I just told him, I just said, Prince. He said, When is it gonna be ready, Morris? And I said, Well, you can go and come back. And when you come back, it still ain't gonna be ready. And then it was like, oh, 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 you know, it's gonna be a day to day, you know. But but I, I had to so but he did acquiesce and came back under my rig and and looked at I put everything on the screen. He said, get rid of that, get rid of that, get rid of that, you can put that back. And we had to go through and take out about ten things so that I can put some new stuff in. Because it's like I don't he would max it out. We were a jukebox band because he wanted us to know that any one of these songs he could pull up, man. And I had to like kind of memorize, so I did, same with Tommy. We had to memorize where, what numbers, uh, uh, Kiss is number 18 today. So I got to look this over so that I have an idea if he jumps in the Kiss, I know to just go push 18 and that would automatically trigger everything uh, to go to Kiss patches so we can do that. So that's how crazy that was. Did you and Tommy ever just kind of look over each other's rigs and teach each other anything or make any observations or? Well, Tommy was extraordinarily helpful to, to me. You know, I brought a lot of technology with me that I did, but Tommy, you know, knew the ropes and, and knew a lot of things. And, and, I, and I have to say this, man, because it's funny style, man. In a lot of bands, you have this internal competition thing that happens. You know, it's, and it's, it's kind of funny because I'm spoiled, man. I, I never really experienced that so much. Uh, but I've noticed a lot of people that come in, sometimes they have. And, and and because we always kind of dealt with stuff kind of more like a family kind of a vibe. I I never had any issues with Barbarella. He always was like helpful, always was like trying to make sure that, I, you know, that, that he, he educated me on how things worked, and how things went. Uh, I could ask him some stuff. He never was annoyed or anything like that, man. He always was very helpful. And to me, that was paramount, man, because, you know, man, I'm in a situation where I'm with these cats, man. I'm going to roll down the totem pole. And, you know, you can get kicked around in a lot of that. I never experienced that, man. Nothing. You know, Sonny gave me a, 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 a lot of good in, advice. Michael Bland gave me advice. And Tommy was a very a good partner, man. There never any arguments about who does what. You know, I just would always, we, we kind of figured out early on, you know, if it's piano related, maybe sometimes I would do it, but mostly Tommy would do it. I know I'm going to cover organ and I'm going to cover some pads, some synth stuff, some different things like that, some chops. And sometimes we both would cover it. 
but it just was a great communication thing, man, and what, which is why that band was so great. We rehearsed all the time. We practiced all the time together, even when Prince wasn't there. And so that band was super tight because we went to work like working at McDonald's. Every day we punched the clock and rehearsed whether Prince was there or not and just went in and played. And then we got to know each other musically and, and just we celebrated each other's strength. I knew what he was going to do. He knew what I was going to do. And so it just was a, that's why that band was like that. Can I take you back uh, just to the period before you, you come into the, the full blown band? So apologies mm -hmm. if I sort of uh, make this succinct, but obviously Mark Brown had seen a band in uh, Memphis and you joined that band mm -hmm. before they go up to Minneapolis. So there's this period where you're the Glam Slam uh, house band and there's I, I see I saw on your, your bio that you've done some work with like film scoring and, and some work for Martin Lawrence's special and I had a real hard time mm -hmm. sort of piecing together the timeline of is that work that you were doing before he sort of graduates you up into the full band how did that come about oh uh, I mean so <laughs> this, is, this is the crazy part so yeah uh, to, to, to speak on the uh, the 80s part uh, with the band Fingerprint. That's the Memphis band that Prince had seen. Um, uh, like Prince would do, like when I was in the band, we would go after our, after our shows, we would find a club, either like a club that's a club or a club that has a band or we were going to play, you know? And so whenever it was a band, we, we you know, our people would find out where there's people playing and we'd go check out people. And so just like that, um, uh, they came and checked out the band Fingerprint. And, and the, with that band, man, we played a lot of time. We played a lot of prints. We played a lot. It was a cover band. So we, of course we played. But what was great about that band is everything that they did, Greg and Angelo, uh, the, the, the lead singer and the guitar player, uh, made sure that everything was like just like the record. I mean, in terms of sounds, in terms of arrangements, and like, you know, because they always wanted to be like in that in that area of, of competing against like Prince and Michael and people like that. They weren't worried about being the best local band, beating up on uh, the squares or anything like that. And because you go to squares and people are like, who's squares? And you go, exactly. And so we wanted to whoop Prince and wanted to whoop Michael Jackson and wanted to whoop Cam and the groups like that that were out at the time. That's who the whoop. And so when they came and saw that band, and were like, "Oh my God!" You're like we, you know, Brown and came down in the management. Craig Rice, all these people came down afterwards. And we're like, "You guys, we see a lot of people playing our music, but you guys sound like us," you know. And that was the beginning of that connection, you know, just that they were there and 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 heard the band sound like, "Wow, this is like we're sitting watching ourselves play," you know. And that's what really made the link. To Brown Mark and, and, the, and the Minneapolis thing, you know that that was that part. Um, the Martin Lawrence thing. See, when I first started with, with Prince, I was working with Craig Rice, who was one of Prince's managers. He, he was a road manager for Purple Rain, and he was one of the directors for a lot of the films that uh, Prince was making. I mean, like he was director on uh, Graffiti Bridge, and he directed a lot of videos, just music videos and stuff. And um, you know, so he had connections in, in Hollywood in different places where he was doing stuff. And I got the Martin gig 
uh, through Craig, because uh, Craig was, you know, he was dealing with HBO, Miramax, all these people. Um, and, and it was crazy because I was doing my, pulling my duty, my normal duty with print this early on. And uh, I got that gig. And so after we do our late stuff, do all this crazy stuff, I had, then I would go and do like Prince would do. Prince would, we would rehearse all day and then Prince would go in the studio and record all night. You know, I don't know how he does it. He would just be up two days at a time, three days at a time, uh, all the time. He could do it all the time. I, I couldn't do it. I mean, I did maybe three days in a row, maybe two or three times in my whole career. And it's like after three days, bro, you're like toast. It's like, every, you're just like, uh, uh, it's crazy. You know, but Prince could do that on, on just like he could do it. So I had to go and like uh, away from work, do the mark. I remember when Prince found found out about it, that I did the soundtrack for this. Uh, it's a movie called You So Crazy. And it basically it was just a comedy movie. And all I had to do was like the intro and the end, you know, and, the, you know, and he comes out and does this thing. And it's me playing the You So Crazy and, you know, all of this stuff. And I just basically had to do that much. It wasn't like I had to do a whole film score at that time. It just just source music at the you know the at the beginning, the, the, the intro, and the, and the end. So, uh, and then the trailer for the movie that was in theaters and that stuff, you know. Um, and so I just squirreled away the time. And I remember Martin Lawrence was at the height of he was just really big at the time. And I remember when Prince found out about it, he said, uh, "He said you worked on this Martin movie," and he said, "When did you have time to do that?" And I said, <laughs> I said, I just did like you, man. I just, I leave rehearsal and, and, you know, get my homework done. And then I work on this extra thing. And he said, do you know how to get a hold of him? And I said, he said, it's because I've been trying to reach him and I haven't been able to get, I say, I said, I got his, his people. And I, and it was kind of cool because I was doing something Prince couldn't do at the time because he was like, ah, well, I've been trying to reach out to him or whatever, you know? So it was, it was kind of cool, man. And, and the fact that, my work didn't suffer because you would have noticed like, like no wonder you were sucking that week because you was working on the Martin movie. And I, <laughs> I couldn't have that, man. Yeah. I could not have that. I had to make sure that my work was done and I, and everything was cool at work. And then I'd squirrel away the time to go do the Martin Lawrence thing or to go do some other stuff that I was working on at the time that I always had to make sure home was knocked out, man. Cause if you, if it suffered and he found out, then it's going to be trouble in the city. Yeah. Absolutely. I'll, uh, and that, uh, that love of illustration for comics that you had, did you influence him? Because it was around the, sort of the time that you were coming into camp that you start getting the three chains of gold. And Oh, yeah. No, no, that, 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 no, that's, no that's Prince, man. I, I don't have nothing. I don't think there's any. One thing I influenced Prince with, you know, Prince, Prince loved comedy, man. I think one of the biggest parts of my longevity in that organization it was the fact that I was funny and that I was this big yeah. joker, this kind of clown, and that I would just kind of do this court gesture thing. And I was just funny, man. I liked, I always wanted to be a comedian. I just was too afraid. I had to like stand up somewhere by myself and, and maybe bomb telling some sorry jokes, but I was okay with doing it around us. I had enough of it to be funny, not enough to be like dangerous. But, but uh, it was just the thing that he loved comedy and I keep him laughing. I, I used to like to hear him laugh. Prince had the funniest like like when he like when you really get him, he laughs out loud really funny. You know, like <laughs> I like to keep up from from like uh, from the Simpsons. You know, it was really funny. 
And um, and so my thing was to get him every time I got a chance, like get him on something and, and, and make him laugh like that. And that's one of the things that I miss the most about him even now is that I did that hearing him laugh like that. And so, so those, that, those that interludes, was, you know, Sorry, yeah. sorry, interludes on no, no, like no, uh, yeah. emancipation and Montalbo and you know, is that stuff that you were doing in the studio and then you just happen to hit record or is it scripted? Are you yeah, guys no, no yeah, man, that that stuff was hilarious, man. As a matter of fact, on the Madhouse record, Madhouse twenty four, Prince had an actual recording of me, like like just me talking on uh, I did I think on a Nona Gay's uh, on uh, 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 Marvin Gaye's tune, I I could imitate Mark Brown. I could imitate uh, like Michael Jackson, and I, I could imitate Prince and Craig Rice. Really, Prince used to ask me to imitate Mark Brown and Craig Rice. He's like Morris Dupree. Yeah, Prince, I did not, I did not make me start this shit. And he would just start almost crying, man, because he said, oh my God, you got Craig down so good, man. And like, you got Mark Brown so good. He asked me to do Mark on this one track. Got to give it up, that's it. Got to give it up. And, and he just like, he just hit record and said, Morris, do your thing. And I just made it up as I went and I could hear him and Nona in the studio just dying laughing. It's on the track, like like they're just in there, just dying, and and he would let me just even in other videos that we do. Prince has footage in the vault of me just doing the whole video by myself and just doing my just crazy Montalvo stuff and just all of this stuff because he just thought, man, Morris is crazy. He's just like doing this stuff and and all of my church humor, you know, because I went to church. I used to wear this church lady hat on stage. And then just be the the old church lady, like, hey man, everybody welcome, with. And he just would be like dying, man. Like it was like he would he just loved it, you know. And sometimes I'd do it like we had a run in Vegas, you know, at the, at the Rio 3121. And that was just part of the show, you know. Like I put on my church hat and do my organ thing and and uh it, you know, it's it's hilarious, man. And and it's like that was some of the fun that we had. And and uh, you know, and and uh, and that was a lot of the the stuff that was the lead in it that I think that just like kept me around a lot because sometimes Prince had a lot of pressure, man, and a lot of things that he had to deal with, man. And and I was the cat that just kind of like just brought the levity sometime, man, and just we just like, man, we can laugh a little bit and, and just like let the, the let the valve open up a little bit, man. Prince was it was tough, man. I mean, and any little thing that I could do that was like fun and it just like had us cracking up and stuff, man. Even with the band, you know, uh, especially when we got the girls and stuff in the band, like, uh, you know, Shelby and, and Cassandra, like all the, just like sometimes, man, stuff got, you know, man, you, but anyway, uh, if you can hear me okay, it was just that Prince was saying that he just needed a different persona for that music. He couldn't pull it off the way he was looking and the way he was kind of, his vibe was, and that's why he needed, uh, um, uh, that's why he needed uh, Morris to kind of like you know create this this different persona for for that music, and so I just I think uh, a lot of the comic relief that he got with Morris, he got with me, you know. Yeah, and in terms of that comic relief, I've I've had a question for years about Matthew McConaughey coming to all the house parties in like two thousand and eight. All Is right, all right, all right. <laughs> And he's at Arkansas, he's Texas, oh he's, he's not far from 
Arkansas border, is he? Yeah. We're back, dang it. <laughs> you were just about to spill the tea on Matthew McConaughey. Okay, so this this is hilarious, man. Uh, this was one of the legendary 3121 parties at Prince's house. And Matthew decided he wanted to be bungo player for the night. He's a percussionist, right? And he's into it, man. I mean, Matthew is into it. He's a, he's committed. And uh, and basically, man, he, uh, he he bloodies his hands like playing. He's cut himself. He's bleeding. So after the thing's over, you know, uh, we're in the kitchen, me and Matthew and Prince. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> this is so funny. Because Matthew's like, he's, man, he's had a time of his life. He's like, man, that was cool, man. And he's telling Prince, like, this was great. And he says, put it there. And he says, you're, he says, you're bleeding. He says, your your hand's bleeding. He says, yeah. He says, we we can be blood brothers. And Prince's like, yeah, no. We will not be being blood brothers. Yeah, no. Ain't going to happen. That's uh, funny. So, so, uh, so, so Prince was like, yeah, no, we're going to go ahead and not do that and uh, shake hands bloody. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you, so me and Matthew got to talking, man. Oh, sorry. sorry. No, I was just going to say, we got to talking about, you know, Austin, you know, in, in the time. And I said, and I said, yeah, I said, I said, Matthew, I used to live in Austin, man. I used to come down to this barbecue place. And he said, yeah, and, 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 and where you worked, you know, and he says, it was around the same time, and he says, "Yeah." He says, "Uh, I said, man, that was crazy, man. That, that I I went in there and got barbecue, and you were working." He said, "Yeah," and the sisters were just like, they just would wear me out because, like, he's a good-looking kid, you know. Matthew McConaughey is a good-looking kid. He said, "Them big sisters down there used to sweat him like nobody." I'm just dying laughing, man. I can totally see him. He's got this smock on, and he's got his muscles out. These girls is like, ooh, child, ooh, child, it's this and that. You know, so it was, man, we were just dying laughing about it because it just was so funny. Like, you know, that's what he was doing while I was playing on 6th yeah. Street. He's down there slinging barbecue down at this place right there in Austin. And just just some good memories, man, just uh, going back, you know, just like where, where we both were and now where we both are, you know. So, so that was kind Brian, of Matthew's a super guy. You know what I'm going to Brian's ask? A bit of a foodie. You know is I it, have to ask Morris this now. So uh, you know I'm going to ask him. So Morris, we've heard a lot about the ribs at Rudolph's. Were they really as good as from what we've been hearing? Let me tell you something, man. Rudolph's Minnesota in general, man. When I first got to Minnesota, it it was the weirdest place I think I ever had been at the time because I'd never been to a place where restaurants was like the hang, like 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 nightclubs. You know, like it was like, we're gonna go to the to Rudolph's and I'm like, Rudolph's the, the barbecue place. But it was like the club after the club. And everybody, Jimmy and Terry had their own booth that nobody could sit in but them had like a rope around it. It's Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis's spot. That's their hang. It was the place to be. Really good food, packed out after the clubs closed up, man. It's like two o'clock on was Rudolph's. And and everybody went to these restaurants like they were like nightclubs, man. And I'm like, what? I've never been to a place where the, the, the smokehouse is the, is the hang. 
and like people take a limo over to the smokehouse or whatever, you know. <laughs> and so, <clears throat> excuse me, that was crazy. But but the food was great at Rudolph's, man. Uh, uh, it was really good. I I recall I used to love to go there even when it wasn't like club night. You know, we go there and eat, and, and like I said, jam and loose. If you wanted to see some stars, the, the stars of Minnesota, that's where you would go. Wow. That's that was the hang, man. It's just like. We had a place called Williams, you know, in different places. Like there were these places, and it was just like, uh, just like that was the places to be, man. That was the hang, and uh, but yeah, so it was, once, it was, once Rudolph was the closed, what, what happened what was what you go now for barbecue. Uh, there's a place. Oh my gosh, I took Philip Bailey there. A place called Market Barbecue, which is like near downtown and on Nicollet Avenue. Market Barbecue. That was the spot. I took Philip Bailey there. It was so good. Philip was so messed up that he was like, he called me. I was on tour with Prince the Welcome to Canada tour, I think it was. Uh, or no, it may have been before that, like a, a, an earlier tour that we were in Canada. And um, yeah, it was before that. He called me, man. I'm on the tour bus. Like, I'm, I'm going, man. Philip, hey, hey, Morris, hey, Morris. What's that barbecue place you took me to in Minneapolis? I got Shaka Khan. I want to take her to that place. I said, Mark, he said, that's it. All right, bye. Click. And, and, and you know, he's gone. He's like, yeah, that's the place. That's the place. And, you know, and he he loved it so much, he took Shaka Khan to it. And, oh. um, you know, so Market Barbecue was the other place. And I think it's still there. Uh, and and it's, it's out of sight, man. What's the Austin one that you and McConaughey, was that Franklin's? I was, huh? Is it Franklin's barbecue in, in Austin? Yeah, like I, yeah, this, I think yeah, one? I think it's Franklin's. Yeah, is that where he worked? Yeah, I think that's the one it was. Franklin, if I remember correctly, wow. I think it was that. I, I believe that's the one it was. That's crazy because they. But he used to be in there yeah. slinging it, man, doing his thing. Yeah, I'll, um... yeah that's bananas, man. But it, that was that was a funny deal. I'll uh, throw in a, so, a page. I'll throw in a Patreon question here. Just I'll just see if I can get this one in. Um, this is from our good friend on Patreon, Wanda Manning. Um, she also wanted me to tell you personally that she loves you. But uh, uh, when Prince shaved your head on stage, uh, how did you really feel about it? And did you get a bonus for doing that? Well, it all grew back. It came back because his hair. So, but check this out, man. It's so funny because I just looked at that on video maybe two days, maybe yesterday, two days ago. So here's the deal. I'll give, give you the story, the, the Cliff's Notes version. Uh, I, I told Prince, we at this point, we're shooting a lot of videos. We're doing a lot of stuff. Prince was shooting videos all the time. So I wanted to change my look up a little bit. And I wanted, I went to him. I said, hey, Prince, I'm thinking about shaving my hair bald, man. And I said, so I would, I wanted to ask you before I did it, because I know we've been shooting videos. I know one Prince thing that he would do all the time is we shoot a we shoot a video. And then months later, he said, oh, you know what? Uh, weeks later, we're going to go back and shoot some pickup scenes for that. So what I didn't want to do is shave all my hair off and then mess up the continuity of any of the videos that, that we had already shot. And I just said, Prince, I'm, I'm thinking about doing this, man. So I don't want to cut my hair off. And then you say, we got to go shoot something for one of these videos we just did because I won't have any hair, you know, and I'm going to put on a wig on. So he said, no, it's fine. 
He said, but then I was getting ready. He said, but he said, but wait. He said, uh, we had a guy named Paris Patton. That was our videographer guy that did the, that did the uh, sacrifice of Victor thing we did in London. Paris was like in-house video guy at the time. He said, take Paris with you and have him shoot them shaving your head. He said, maybe I could use that footage just you getting your hair shaved off. And I said, well, okay, cool. You know, and I told Pat, I told Paris, I said, hey, man, Prince wants you to go with him. And I go to the barbershop. He wants you to like get your camera and go shoot me, get my head shaved off, you know, or whatever. And he says, cool, because Paris is like, yeah, he's like thinking of stuff too. He's like, great. So I hadn't gone yet. I went to the Glam Slam. And um, now now here's the, here's the back story to that. I remember Mark, when I first started working for Prince, Mark Brown told me, he said, Morris, whatever you do, don't ever let Prince cut your hair. And I said, Mark, why the fuck, like, why the hell would Prince cut my hair? Like, whoa. I was like, why would he cut my hair? He said, man, he gave me a haircut and butchered my hair, man. He said, I, and I was like, I saw the video and I was like, oh, yeah, he did. It's, it's jacked up, man. He's like, gave Mark a jacked up haircut. Uh, like sexuality or one of those songs is like Mark's hair is just like it, it it's like this bro it's tore up so I was just thinking like Mark why would I let Prince cut my hair that's like crazy so I get to the club Prince sitting there with Ahmad Rashad and I don't know if Shaq was there that night but I know Ahmad was so him and him and Ahmad are sitting together I go over and he calls me over he says hey Morris he says I got an idea he says, why don't you let me cut your hair uh, instead of you going over to the barbershop stage when we're playing? I said, I said, wait a minute. I said, man, Brown Mark told me don't ever let you cut my hair. And he said, well, he says, you're going to shave it off. How can it go wrong? What can I do wrong? I guess you got a point. I said, uh, I said, yeah, if you're going to, it's going to be bald anyway. You can't mess it up. He says, he says, yeah. I said, well, do I get hazard pay? And he said, no. <laughs> so, because <laughs> I was like, <laughs> so, <clears throat> excuse me. I said, okay. I, I'm like, cool. You know, we'll do it. It was for this whole thing we were doing for NBA All-Star Week. And so he was like so excited. He said, oh, great, great. He turns to Ahmad and says, hey, this is my keyboard player. He's going to let me shave his head on stage. Uh, at the thing we're doing at the at the party for the NBA All-Star party. And Ma was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, you know, that's going to be weird. And it was crazy, man. It, it was like, uh, I knew it was going to happen. Uh, I didn't know how exactly it was going to happen because we didn't really talk about the, the, the technical parts of it. He's just like, we're going to be playing days a while, then... You know, I'm going to foof your hair up, like get the hairdresser. He told me, like, get the hairdresser to really foof it up real high, as like high as they can foof it up, you know, put some stuff in it and get it all. And then you're going to have on your, your cloak and all this stuff. And then I'm going to come over and pull the cloak off. And then I'm just going to like, I thought he was just going to kind of like shave, like take some time and shave. What I didn't know is that it, that it was going to be like during a song and, and then I got hair flying all over the keys and I'm like hairs in my mouth. It's everywhere, bro. I'm like, what the? And then he only takes a couple of swipes. And he puts the sound of the, the buzzer sound in the, you know, that was a sample that we just 
added later. You couldn't hear the, the thing running. But but man, it was like so bananas. But he was so happy, like we did it. And I because I was sitting there, the thing I was kind of concerned about is like, I'm getting hair all in the organ. It's going in the synthesizers. It's everywhere, bro. Like, you know, it's like hair. So I was kind of like, dude, like, don't get it all over my stuff. So there's one moment when I'm looking at myself and I'm like going, I look concerned right there because it's like I got this hair just going everywhere. But that was the only thing that was weird about it. And then on the next song, he sent the hairdresser up to finish me off while the song was playing. So she is shaving the rest of my hair so I don't look crazy. She's shaving the rest of my hair off while we're playing the next song. And, and then after we got off the stage, we took it, we kept playing and like taking these little short breaks. And man, he got off the, we, we, we were standing on my steps on my riser or on Michael Bland's drum riser. I don't remember which one, but we were standing on the steps. And um, Prince was so excited. He was like, man, Gene, nobody's ever seen anything like that. Who's going to a concert since somebody get a haircut on the stage? And he, and he kissed me in the top of my bald head twice. Like, I was like, oh my God. Like he was standing behind me and he just kissed me in the top of the head, man. And it was like so weird, but he was really happy about the whole thing and just thought it was a rock and roll moment. He just said that. He said, nobody, because he shows them, you know, there's some some shots where you see the people kind of looking, they're like going, what the hell is happening right now? Like these are the days of wild, you know? And it was really a big thing for him. He was just like, man, that was so cool. Like Morris, he said, that was awesome. Like uh, he just was really excited about it. Can I can I segue that into uh, the Super Bowl press conference? How much did he say oh, that he wasn't yeah. going to take any questions, and he'd use that sense of humor to to get that group? Yeah, we 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 knew that that we knew that was going to happen. I mean, as far as he had talked to us about, like, you know, we're going to go and do this this this, this press conference. They're going to think that uh, we're you know just going to take a bunch of questions and then we was going to jam or something. He said, oh, but be ready. Uh, just listen to me. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and then I'm gonna do this, and I'm they gonna ask me some questions, and then I'm gonna like be y'all be ready to hit. You know, so everybody knew to be on standby for whatever he says and just be at the ready to take off. But we did know that he was gonna like he wasn't gonna really take any questions and then just kind of go into this jam that we were just gonna do. You know, we 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 had to know that because otherwise he could have caught everybody off guard and not know everybody like oh. oh and it would have been this train wreck. So we definitely knew to be on high alert because it was coming. Like he was he wasn't gonna answer no questions, man. So he was gonna go in. You know? Did did it bother you that that crowd was just so dead? You know, like all these reporters who they didn't even stand up and dance or you know Well, laugh. well that's the thing though. These are professionals, man. They they're there to do a press conference. They're they're you know, they're not up for Prince's shenanigans, you know. Prince is just doing stuff. And 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 he didn't really set it up for them to really like uh, uh, to, uh, to to for them to like okay I'm gonna start jamming y'all go ahead and dance these are like press people you know so it was funny to us man because it's just like they were just kind of shocked like like what's what what is this you know so it, it it wasn't like you know we had a crowd of our folks scattered amongst the the folks they're super heavy so it's just like. It's kind of like stage diving uh, into a, like a, a a crowd of celebrities. It don't work out so good when you, you ask my take. It don't work so good when you yeah. stage diving celebrities. They just move out of the way because they don't want to get their 
oh my goodness, you know, they just move out and and you hit the ground. And so they, they you know, yeah. the fans will buoy you and, and float you around, but not the celebrities. They, 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 the reporters aren't very good, for, you know, the audience members. Can I, can I nail down a couple of things about that Super Bowl performance while we've got you? The sure. first one is that I believe that there's a rehearsal that's recorded in case anything goes wrong on the night, they can play the rehearsal. Yeah, they is do there that. a copy because, of, of the... uh, Well, Prince has everything. I mean, what they do is on that Friday, they, because they knew the storm was coming. They, they knew it was coming. And so it's like, we're going to have weather. We just don't know how bad it's going to be uh, and at what time it's going to hit for the Super Bowl. So they, they do that anyway. They have a contingency plan to make sure that we all were in full dress on Friday. Like we're in full dress, like it's going to be. They film the whole thing and they can superimpose us the way that the guy explained it to me. And I was MD on it. And I just told him, you know, like I had to have these discussions about all this, all of this equipment with all of this electricity and all this water. And, and I said, bro, I got to make sure Prince doesn't get electrocuted. I got to make sure our keyboards you know the the water because we got a bunch of plugs and stuff and they had man these cats the nfl man i'm gonna tell you something i never seen anything like it like they had a contingency plan for the contingency plan everything was just like this dude said don't worry about nothing we, we this ain't our first rodeo you're gonna be fine prince isn't gonna get electrocuted your stuff is gonna work this is gonna work don't worry about it and they handled it man it was incredible like they had made I ain't even seen some of the stuff that they used before. Like it's the power got in some kind of thing so the water wouldn't get in it. And now the keyboards got jacked up because they got once the once we turned them off, they were done. There's all that rain that got in them. You know, but uh, we were using um my company, Open Labs and Yamaha and all these folks, uh, I had these open lab uh keyboards and they sent them especially for us to use at the Super Bowl. So none of our equipment from Las Vegas because we were doing the run at the at the uh, Rio, and and we didn't want to screw all our gear up, you know, because we send out our own equipment. So they they made sure we had all new stuff just for that. And I think after that show was over, when they unplugged it, everything died. But we signed it and did an auction for like a Make a Wish, and so they were able to like you know, give, you know auction these keyboards off. And, and then give the proceeds to make a wish. So it was, it was great, man. It worked long enough because that's what happens when you get stuff wet. I mean, it'll work until you turn it off and then there's like toast. And then, uh, so it was cool, man. They, they, they figured everything out. You know, Prince wasn't super, ha super happy about, I remember we went back to the truck and listened to the, you know, the mix of the instruments and stuff like that. And, it, and he wasn't, you know, Prince is always hard on any kind of award show Anything like that, man, he's hypercritical about the guitar, about the sound, about, the, you know, his microphone. Like, all of these things are just, like, he nitpicks over everything like that. And he just wants to hear the mix. He's in the booth, like, you know, they're in the truck, and these guys are nervous, and they just want to, he wants to hear the mix of this and turn that up and this, that, and other. You know, he's real crabby, like, you know, it's like, bro, you just made history. I mean, there ain't never been no rain at a Super Bowl, and... And you did purple rain in the rain, bro. It don't get no better than that, bro. Like, what you want out of life, you know? A lot of us almost fell down. I almost slipped down. The twins almost slipped down. Shelby, you know, but it was, it was, man, it was one of the greatest moments I can remember 
The only thing I thought that may have been better as far as the Prince thing was the Hall of Fame thing that he did with the, uh, my guitar gently weeps. I told him, I said, Prince, that was one of the dopest things I ever seen you do in my life, man. That was just, yeah. uh, you know, and he told me about that, but I wasn't there for that. But I said, that was one of the greatest things I've seen you do, man. It was, it was incredible. You know? Yeah. Do you think he was trying to prove a point in that middle of the, the 2000s where he'd sort of dropped the dancing and the splits? Do you think he, he tried to make a point about his guitar playing? I, I you know, whenever Prince does something with, with, with the, you know, man, it was always a point of contention for Prince with like, you know, I, and it was for me too, because I'd read these magazines that all of the greatest guitar players ever magazines, you know, Rolling Stones, top 100, or Prince would be like down 25 or 50 or something like that. And I always thought this is bollocks. This is crazy. Like I've had Steve Vai give me a guitar for Prince and do this, like, Hey man, would you give this to Steve Vai? That's the devil in Crossroads. Okay, just so we clear, one of the greatest guitar players in the galaxy. All right, and he gave me a guitar like present me with an Oscar and like I want you to have this seven string for Prince and 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 he's my hero and blah blah blah. And I'm like going, God damn man, this this is Steve Vai. You know what I'm saying? And 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 people like uh, Eric Clapton. All of these folks like this that always gets like number one, number two, Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix was dope. Make no mistake, he's a pioneer. He did what he did. But but Jimi, God rest his soul, had no kind of range like what Prince Prince could go from any genre, any funk, jazz, rock, punk, whatever. And he could cover it, man. Plus he could sing. Plus he could dance. Plus he can play keyboards, plus he can play bass. It's like Prince got discredited for all of the stuff he could do. And it's, and I think people just looked over because he could do so much that it's just like, yeah, 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 Prince play everything he does. He can play a little saxophone, he can do everything. And I think a lot of times, man, it was just irritating because I'm like, man, I could sick Prince of anybody. And so when you get up there with Tom Petty and all these cats, and, and and it's like he gonna let him know. He told me, he said, you know what? Because I, I said, I said, Prince, bro, that was banana sandwiches right there. When I just, and he said, you know what I did? He said, I, I for rehearsal, I just went half, half ass, turn it over in the show hit. I let him have it, you know. And I said, yeah, that's what you do, you know. Yeah. That was the thing he wanted to let him know. Like in the rehearsal, he just like I'm just gonna do 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 do, just get the sound check on. And he said, when the show come, I'm pulling out all the tricks. I'm doing like the fall into the crowd, let my bodyguard catch me. And you can see, and he told me, say, he said, go back and watch it and look at Tom Petty's face. And I went, because Tom had that, why, you little bastard. You know, it was just like, a, <laughs> you know, you uh, know, it was funny, man. Yeah. Morris, you are saying too about that, uh, in my journey in this channel, you know, uh, I don't think people realize how far Prince has influenced people. I recently did an interview with a fellow by the name of Rick Hunel. He was a longtime guitar player in the thrash metal band Exodus. Him and Gary Holt, the other okay. guitar player, who's also played for Slayer, Prince was their mm -hmm. hero. Like, Gary Holt has purple guitars. He plays on stage. Like, people don't... Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, so it's it's very interesting uh, to see his reach I'm, and I mean, how far those, he's influenced. Yeah, I think those who know, know. You know what I'm saying? I think guitar players, like I said, man, Steve Vai really made a 
a, a point of just letting me know, you know, I've heard interviews with Eric Clapton and, and, and some of the other guitar players that, that talked about, uh, and I even see this one guy on the internet that kind of, kind of dissects people's playing. And he said, I don't know how I missed uh, all of these things on Prince. Like, like, you know, it wasn't a part of my influence when I was coming up. My dad used to play this and that and the other. And this dude is amazing. Cause I'm like, man, he is hitting that just like Prince was hit, you know, like he just hear it and just go, this is what he was doing, he said, put a little fly here. And, and he's just like going through it, man. I'm like, oh my God. And he just said, I just slept on it because that wasn't my sphere of influence uh, when I was listening to the stuff I was listening to. But this dude is crazy, you know? And he kind of analyzes the video we do in the, at, the, at the forum, uh, play that funky music. And, and, and he was just like, this is, I mean, He's got the Telecaster and he's kind of, this is like him kind of doing a throwback to the Tele sound and the country and Western kind of flavor he would kind of go to. Yeah. It just was like, he had that kind of range. Yeah. You know, Prince used to listen to Buck Owens and like, like uh, what's my man with that was on Hee Haw? Um, oh, Roy Clark. Not Buck Owens. Roy Clark, man. Roy Clark was a beast, you know, doing what he was doing, man. I mean, them cats like that, man. And so, you know, he understood all of those kind of techniques and all of those sounds, man. And he could yeah. do stuff because one thing Prince used to say a lot was, he said, Morris, they can, he said, we can do them, but they can't do us. You know, just do his little funny, tricky voice. He said, yeah, we can do them, but they can't do us. <laughs> and that was a big deal for him. It's like that, that, that we can, we can come and get you. I remember when we did the, uh, the, the first annual, the first MTV uh, Music Awards in 1994. Brandenburg Gate, and Aerosmith was, you know, you know, of course that was like Armageddon. Aerosmith had this record was huge, and the word we went, Prince turned it down. He said we're not gonna do it. He called me and said, hey, um, get you know, get everything together. We we are gonna do the uh, the MTV Awards. He said I heard Steve Tyler just said that why are we headlining when they got a bigger record than us. And, uh, you know, and Prince was like, so we gonna go ahead and go ahead and do it now. And we just gonna whoop that ass. And it's like this, you know, and I said, oh, cool. You know, so we got over and it was crazy, man, because he was just like, just on this thing and like always like all of these rockers, man. He said, we will, when we said, he said, we're gonna play our rock tune. We're gonna do this. And so, and we going hard. And that was his thing. I had Steve Tyler and, and 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 Joe Perry come in the dressing room after, and it was brutal, man, because you know Steve was completely contrite and he had contrition for it. Like any, he said, I don't know how this terrible rumor got out, friends. I had the sun and moon rises and sets with you, bro. Uh, and Joe Perry's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just in there, man. Prince didn't say nothing, dude. He's got his shades on. He's got a lollipop. He's eating this thing. <laughs> and all of the band, we're all sitting in the room. We're all sitting in the room and nobody's saying nothing. Now I'm new, man. I'm just, and I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a bleeding heart. Like you know, Steve was cool to me. He was cool to us, man. We out hanging out, man. And I got him on video hugging my neck and we doing stuff, goofing around. And we, you know, we all cool, man. But Prince wasn't that dude. He had actually sent our publicist since that uh, uh, Prince, I want y'all hanging out with the Aerosmith guys. And uh, I'm like, man, I'm glad, man. He cool, man. I don't let nobody do, you know, tell me what friends I can have. I mean, Steve was cool to me. I'm going to be cool to him. You know, and it was cool. 
and Stephen and, and, and came in. Nobody's saying nothing, man. And I'm just sitting there dying. I'm like, oh my God. And he's like, yeah, you know, and he's trying to, he's just talking to nobody saying nothing. And I'm just like, okay. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, this is bad. I'm like, this is killing me. And I finally say, hey man, Steve, Joe, thank you, man. Thank y'all. I walk over and kind of like walk him out. Man, Prince was 38 hot. He's like, Morris, he's like, why did you do that? I'm like, Prince, you're killing him, man. I mean, he's he's in here, man. He's being contrite. He's like, Prince, you know, man, you're the greatest. You know, him and Joe are like, yeah. And and you ain't saying nothing, bro. You just like. And I'm like, I, I, I said, Prince, I couldn't deal with that. I was like, it was killing me, man. So I just had to end it. I just, and he was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. <clears throat> he wanted to jump Did he the change? Off. Did he change over the um, years with that, that sort of slight awkwardness or the, the desire to No nah, man, Prince 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 was a let me tell you something, man. This is one of the things I do love about Prince. He was a rock star's rock star. I remember we were at this place in LA, man. Um we were at this little it was called a green door or something like that in, in Hollywood. And and uh 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 it's Iron Man, uh, Robert Downey Jr. is there. Robert Downey Jr. This is after the first Iron Man, bro. He is the biggest thing in Hollywood right now. And I'm sitting there with Prince, you know, we just sitting kind of chilling. And there's a bunch of celebrities hanging around. But I see, I see Robert across the way. And he's talking to his friends and he's looking at Prince. Now, I've seen this a thousand times at this point. Like people that's like talking. And you can tell they're talking about us. And they're looking at and he's like, he looks at Prince and like, so he's he's telling his friends, I'm gonna go over there. You know, and I'm like, uh oh, here we go. I'm, and he's like, now nah, this this is I this Tony Stark over there, man. He's chilling. And so, and so I'm like, uh oh, he's gonna come over. And he's telling his friend, they're, and they're egging him on, like, yeah, man, go on, go, go on, go and talk to him, you know. Now at this point, Prince has told Trevor, he told our bodyguard dude, like, uh, like, go get the car and uh let me know when you know when the car is here. Come get me. So when Prince, when they come and tell him the car is ready, when Prince gets up, it is a beeline straight to the car. He don't stop and shake hands. He ain't trying to say, hey, what's up? He just gets his cane and it's he's got his shades on and everything is a straight shot to the car. I'm out of here kind of deal. When 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 Tony Stark decides to get up, <laughs> when Robert decides to get up, he comes over. He, his timing was bad because when Trevor gave him the word, Prince gets up, takes off. Robert walks up. Hey, Prince, I just want to. And Prince walks right by him with his hand sticking out like pew, just right on by. And and, and then all of, all of the Robert's friends are over there laughing. They're dying, man. They're like, oh, my God. He just he just went right past him and left him with his hand sticking out like this. Just like poof, smoke, and he's gone. And so now Robert Downey's like all hurt, man. It's like, you can tell his little guts fell out. He was just like, really? I'm Iron Man, bro. And it's like, you know, you just left me hanging. And and, uh, and I told, so Prince goes out. His uh, assistant at the time was this girl, Ruth. Ruth comes in and I said, hey, Ruth. I said, uh, Robert over there just tried to, you know, holler at Prince real quick. And he just got shot down. And uh, she says, oh, Oh, invite him to the house. We're having a party night. Invite him to the house. And, you know, it's cool. You know, Prince had to just take off. That's what he, I know the drill. So she said, yeah, just invite him to the party. And it's cool. I said, okay. 
So I go over to him and I say, Robert, uh, I say, hey, man, I'm sorry about that, man. Whenever Prince is on, he said, oh, no, 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 it's cool, man. It's, 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 it's fine. I said, well, we're having a party. If you want to come, no, 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 it's fine. No, 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 no. And his friends are just like, dying bro and he is hurt man and i was just like god dang it prince just shot iron man down man and i'm just like dude this is but he's always been like that it's always he's if he's in a room with a room full of stars he was the biggest star paul mccarthy came to our table uh whitney came to our table everybody came to our table prince didn't go to nobody's table you know what i'm saying that's just who he was man i always appreciated that about him because i'm like man this is a rock star man this dude is a rock star and he just looked at himself like that, you know. I always loved that about. Well, Morris, I, I think we have to get Chappelle involved here and get you to film these because this is Charlie Murphy's stories part two, isn't it? Yeah, I, I mean, and I got a million of them, man, because I, I spent so much time. And you know, it's funny, man. I'm, I'm actually thinking about writing a book uh, yeah. about. I have a. I start compiling a list. Now I have two books on it. One is called A Ticket. But but the other one is, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of, I got a working name called Mr. Hayes Among the Stars. And what it is, is just these anecdotes, these little, little stories like this of all the celebrities, man, it, it, it's the nuttiest thing because when I started compiling it, um, when I started compiling it, uh, I just said, okay, I'm gonna just, every time I think of the names, I'm going to just 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 take a take a like a thing like this, uh, okay. and then I'm just going to to oh, write wow. the names down. Wow. And they, and they're all like you know like some heavy duty folks. I can't get it to, to be clear, but uh, I can't That's get it to be clear. That's probably for the best, isn't it? You'd, yeah. you'd be inundated with. It's people. just. It's just. It's just so many celebrities and so many actors and you know Will Smith, like everybody that is uh, that we've come across, and I have all of these wonderful stories. I don't see my thing is this man. There are some some celebrities that are like not so great stories, but for those who uh, you know, and I'm not about disseminating anything that's like I'm not the guy for the raunchy and for the. Uh, negative and anything like this all of the stories i have are these wonderful stories you know like with paul mccartney where i'm sitting there at the party and uh paul decides to come over and talk to prince and as he's walking by he you know paul he's a friendly guy he walks over and he's just kind of you know i'm sitting right here and Bria's and, and prince and and you know cedric the entertainer sitting right here and uh he just kind of walks by and he kind of puts his hand on your shoulders he's walking by when he puts his hand on my shoulder i'm like that's a beetle like that man because it's freaking paul mccartney man it's like god dang that's that's a beetle that's got his hand on your shoulder and he asked prince he said uh, he said prince he said understand you've been doing my song the long and winding road with elton i'd love to get a copy and prince is like yeah paul like yeah we'll get you uh we'll get that sent out to you you know and i'm like sitting there thinking like man I'm tripping. I'm like, man, this is Paul McCartney asking us about a song we had played a couple, two or three times with Elton John. Elton would come up and do the Long and Winding Road with us, and Paul wants a copy of that. And I'm like, like, man, this is like getting Jacques Cousteau to clean your fish tank, man. This is crazy. 
it's like this is crazy right here, man. And I'm just like, I'm sitting there like, oh my God, bro. I'm sitting here with Prince Paul McCartney asking about Elton John. I'm like, man, I'm through, man. Y'all put me in the dirt. I'm straight. You know, it's like that, man. It's And it's like, I got so many moments like that. It's just like, you have to just, sometime you got to do that number right there because I'm tripping, you know. I did the same thing with James, uh, with with, uh, with uh, Ron Wood and, and, and Rod Stewart, you know. You know, our bodyguard kind of rough Rod, Ron Woods up. And it's just like I went and told Prince, I said, he said, what was that all about? So I said, man, Aaron didn't know who Ron Woods was. And he kind of like shook him up a little bit. He says, we'll go fix it, man. We go around the corner. Ron and his wife and daughter are there. Uh, you know, Rod Stewart was there, man. So we just, me and Rod and Prince and a couple of people and, and, and his daughter and stuff. And she, I used to wear these cuffs like Prince. And Ron's daughter said, what is that? It's beautiful. What is that? And I just gave it to him and said, hey, yeah, this is, you check it out. And Ron was like, hey, it's beautiful. Look, it looks great on it. I said, well, you can have it. It's, it's yours. She's like, oh, really? Thank you. And it was like this whole thing, man. And it's like, I'm sitting looking at it. Like I said, where's the black and white photographer that get this black and white shot of, of Rod and Ron Wood and all of us in there around this round table, man. I'm like, this is rock and roll, man. Like this is, man, I, I'm like, I love it, man. Because it's the stuff I used to look at in rock and roll magazines. And I used to see it now here I am and sitting up a little kid from Arkansas. I'm sitting up in the middle of this stuff, man. I'm a blessed brother and I'm a humble brother because I know that could have been anybody in that position, man. And I was blessed enough to be able to like roll around with Prince and, and do stuff like that. And a lot of people that roll with Prince were able to do it. They know different stars. And I just met the ones that I met over a 20 year span. And that's a lot of people, man. Like we did a lot of David Letterman and and all of these different shows like that where just a lot of people a lot of celebrities our shows. And so, man, we just met a lot of people like that. I met Trump like that. I mean, and so, and which I had no problem with Trump. I was like, man, he told me he wanted to shake my hand. And I said, I thought you were a German folk and you didn't shake hands. He said, well, I'll shake your hand. And I shook his hand because the next day, Whoopi and hanging out at the Madison Square Garden, we're doing those shows. And I'm like, I mean, he's just a, he's a playboy, like billionaire guy. I mean, I'm like, cool. You know, he's at the show. It was like awesome. You know, I, I didn't have a problem until he got in politics. And, you know, that's when it got to be an issue for me. But I'm just saying that happened on the norm all the time, you know, all of these different people. And I, I was grateful to like meet all of the folks that I did. And these are nice stories. That's a nice story about Mr. Trump uh, that, you know, because he was nice to me. I was nice to him. You know what I'm saying? And we just, it just rock and roll. And that's what the beautiful thing about music is. It's just all of that stuff puts everything on a kind of level playing field. You didn't, it, you know, I wasn't talking about politics. You know, everything's about music at that point. Yeah. And so I could address everybody as people, you know what I'm saying? And just like deal with them on a personal level, like aside yeah. from all of that stuff, man. And that what was I, that's what I loved about it, you know? Uh, I don't give any time. Sorry, one last one, and then I think we're on Patreon. Aren't we? Yeah. Um, do you ever give any time to thinking if you've taken a different road in life? Like, I, it's a, an amazing thing that you've you've been able to do in the life that you know you've had. If you ever think, what if, and what would it have looked like? I think about it all the time. You know, one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite uh, movies when I was coming up was that movie um you know the the movie with jimmy stewart uh, it was like is it a, is, is it a it's a wonderful life it's a wonderful life and uh 
I I would think you know I, I had a little brother that got killed early in my in my life when I was about uh, ten years old, um, and um, I often think because he was more musically inclined than I was, and we were all in a traffic accident together, and um, he died in it, and uh, I often think like what would have happened because that day I wanted to die myself because I was holding his hand. And uh, I didn't get killed, but he got yanked out of my hand, and he did. And I just felt like I had failed him. So I wanted to die myself. Mm. And I actually went and laid out in the road to get ran over so that I could die too. And this is real tough, man. And so that didn't happen. The guy that actually swerved and missed me was a guy who went called. He got me up and went, called, went to these people. This is back in 1973. There were no cell phones. You had to go to somebody's house and have them call the police. And uh, that's what he did. You know, I was not to die that day or, or any day for that matter, as I'm still here. But uh, I often think what would have happened had uh, I not did this or not did that, what would the situation be? You know, my brother was a better musician than me. I was more in the sports like basketball and stuff. And I didn't get into music until after you know, he was kind of like into it. So I often think like, what would, would he have been the one to do this? And I thought I would be an artist and I thought that would be the case. So yeah, I think about it, man. Like what would I have done had I not done this? Where would I be? You know, and I think about it sometimes. I do know this, this is the only thing that I've ever loved and that I've only done since I've been a professional is I've made my career and my life doing music in some form or another, you know, when I first was starting that, out, I did. Is ahead. that your way of, of maybe carrying him with you because music was his passion? It 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 is. I think about it a lot, and I and I think that is one of the things that I that I always think about is that you know, I always think like God put this because it was too many things, man. It just was too many things that fell into the right places. That that's all it could be to me it's, it's, it's like it, it can only be God directing my path in that way because it just was too many things it's like when I watch one of these movies like I just went to go see John Wick and it was crazy and it's just like when certain things happen you go like how did that guy just know to be up there with a rifle and come on man but then when I think about it it's the same thing happened to me like certain things happened at the exact right time that made it possible for me to go to the next step. That just like you go like, dude, there's no way that, that somebody was just waiting in the bushes to shoot the guy right before he stabbed him in the neck. Like, it's just like that kind of stuff. It's just not as serious as that, but just things that happened along the way that just said, you got a fork in the road, you're gonna go left, or you're gonna go right on this fork. You know what I'm saying? And that's the thing that made it like, uh, made me think about I'm supposed to be here. Too many times I've been on needed flights. I've been robbed at gunpoint twice. And yet I walked away with my life on all of these things. That means I have a mission. I'm on a mission. I have something that I'm here for, a reason to be here. Mm -hmm. And I always think about that, man, whenever something like that. And it gave me peace. And in the times that I knew I was going to die, I didn't have that fear that you have when you're going to die, man. I just was able to just understand, like, if this is, I've eluded death so many times that if this is my time, I'm okay with it. I'm ready to go. 
if that's what it is, you know, if that's what it is, I always wonder how I would react in the face of death. And I wasn't disappointed. And I've been disappointed with myself for a lot of stuff, but that wasn't one of them because I, I was at peace with it. Because once I resolved to the fact that, hey, I'm going to see my little brother, I'm going to see my grandma, whatever it is, I'm good, man. Yeah. And so it's just, just one of those things. But it's a good question. I never really get a question like that. But it's a great question, and, 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 I, and I think it just helps me understand my destiny, you know? And that was, that was an amazing That's answer. Amazing. So open. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll squeeze yeah. in a few more you Patreon know, questions. Just, just sorry, Brian. I know I keep holding you up um, from the Patreon. <laughs> but just to, to say on that, Morris, the one thing that Brian and I have, have realized when we speak to people, everything is made up about Prince because obviously he's, you know, he's this megastar, right? And he's sure. the captain of the ship. But it's no accident the people who come through the, the bands and the people he surrounded him with, himself with. I think that there are bigger things at play that brought so many special people into, into his orbit. And I think there's, sure. a, you know, an argument to be made that he was brought into some very special people's orbit. And I think that's the thing that Absolutely. we take from, from a lot of these interviews is that, you know, there's a lot of incredible people. You're one of them. I mean, you know, it's it, it goes without saying. I think every fan pulls a, you with a, a, a dear place in their heart. Um, but I just wanted you to know that was that was fantastic. Thanks so much for sharing. I, 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 I appreciate that, man, because, you know, one of the funny things that Prince did, well, I don't know if it's funny, but one of the weird things that he did at the end like it just had to be like you know I was only there to like 2012, and uh, around 2011 somewhere he came over to my house, and uh, just showed up man he just came and knocked on my door and I opened it up and it was Prince you know in in Bria, and uh and I'm like hey man what's up like and I, you know and he's like uh, so you want to come in and I was making some food Prince don't eat meat, you know and so I, I he says no I'll stay out here, and I just went out on my porch you know. And and he was wearing this long tunic kind of thing, looked like you know Jarrell from you know Krypton, you know, with this long thing on, you know, like Prince. I'm like, what, what's happening? <laughs> and um, he just came over, man. This dude got on his knee and and kissed my hand, and like I'm like, what the hell is going on? And and told me like, hey man, I wanted to to, to apologize to you, like I, I was really hard on you, and I and I really was tough. And he said, I, he said, but I just wanted you to be great. And you are great, and uh, I was like, "Wow!" Um, and, um, and and he told me all this. He said, "You introduced me to a lot of people that I love." Uh, he named off a bunch of names: Kieran Sharma and and and, and, uh, and Tamar, and just named off all the people that I had introduced him to, uh, Bria, and all of the people that I had introduced him to. And, and he said he mentioned the fact that I talked to him about religion, and that I told him about Muslim. Uh, the whole thing you know, uh, brought him into this whole understanding about uh, what I, at least what I had understood about the Muslim faith and Christian faith and all of these different things that we would talk about that he would, you know, ultimately examine until he got to, when he met Larry and got into the Jehovah Witness thing. But he thanked me for all of that, man, because that's my, I grew up in the church, you know, so it, and I grew up around all of that type of thing. And so he just wanted to let me know he appreciated uh, all of the, the the input and all of the, the stuff that you know because Prince was a much bigger teacher to me than I think I was to him, but uh, but yet still he appreciated what I brought to the table and he wanted me to know that man and it was kind of weird because I felt like 
well, first thing I felt like is that I was looking around and he was like, where you looking around? I'm saying, because I'm waiting for Aston Kutcher to come up and say I'm punked. I'm like, I'm waiting for this dude to jump out of something. Because I, I, it was the weirdest thing to have Prince on my porch where everybody in my neighborhood could kind of see him, you know, and like looking out the window like, hey, well, what the hell is this Prince over there getting proposing to Morris on his knees? <laughs> and I was just like, this is weird, man. And I remember getting off the phone. And I, I was I was married at the time. And I remember calling my wife. I went in her office. Her office was like the first door. And I went in there and used her and called her and said, you are not going to believe what just happened. She's like, what? I said, man, Prince just came over here. And just like, it was weird, almost like he was getting ready, like he was saying goodbye or something because it was just like he told me all of this stuff and how much he loved me and how much he loved the people that I introduced him to, all of this stuff. It was weird, like almost like he was saying, all right, bro, see you in the next one or something like that because I just thought it was the weirdest thing ever that he didn't even tell me he was coming over. You know, he used to live across the street from me and would stop from time to time, but I, I'm just glad that Brill was there because I wouldn't have believed it myself if I had a witness to what had happened that day. I, I would have been like, I don't even believe it. But she was there and saw the whole thing happen. As, and she just kind of stood there, kind of like she had a long dress on and the, the white dress and looking very nice. And, and he did his thing. And, and she was there to witness the whole thing. And I'm just like, wow, this is weird, man. Like, it's crazy. I, I remember like kind of shedding a tear because I was so outdone by the whole thing. I just didn't know what to... And I told my wife, I said, man, this was crazy. Like, I, I, I'm like, I'm flabbergasted. Like, it's it's like, wow, you know. But um, thank God he, he, it wasn't the end uh, uh, at that time. And uh, But it was just a very strange thing. And I just, like, remember thinking, like, wow, man, for him to come and tell me all of that stuff and apologize for how tough he was. But he was tough on everybody, you know. And, and but yeah. for him to say that, I just was like, "Wow, man, this is crazy, man!" Like, because I didn't think about it, man. I always knew. I heard from everybody that I talked to about Prince before I ever met him that he's a tough guy. He's a he's a hard guy in rehearsal. He's a hard guy with this. That so that wasn't a shock to me. That's something I was used to even before I got with him. So I didn't expect yeah. it to be any different for me, you know. I yeah. I just thought that's what it is, and Ooh. so um, yeah. We, we, you know, we've learned in our experiences with some of our interviews, uh, uh, talking to some of the people from Prince's past too, like, it's no secret, I, you know, he, he was very demanding with what he wanted out yeah. of you if you worked for him, right? And I think I always think of this humility and I have, it just quadrupled my respect for you guys because like, you know, sometimes as musicians, we put ourselves first with our ego, but I, I can be honest and say, you know what, Prince would have you know chewed me up and spit me out in three minutes <laughs> so for you guys uh to and i mean that with all due respect to him he's amazing yeah um yeah to be able to it, it, that quote when you said i knew my place in the room it, it just it told me a lot about your personality uh your ability to deal with different personalities your your uh work ethic your professionalism because uh i i think a lot of uh musicians would not have been able to work with him for whatever reason. So the people that could hang in there for a while, that says a lot to me about them. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, man, I, I, I realized that I had really, and I don't use the word luck. I don't like luck. I, you know, I don't believe, you know, for anybody, like, like I said, you know, that's just not a term we use, we practice. But I, I'm one of the most fortunate cats, and I realized that I was. 
I knew that there were greater players than me. I actually offered, you know, one of my favorite keyboard players of all the time was Greg Filling Games, man. And Greg called me after we did a show in L.A. And it was like, Morris, he says, man, I played with everybody in the game. He says, the only cat I haven't worked with is Prince, man. I want to play with y'all. And I was like, stop, Greg. I'm like, oh, my God, yes. I'm like, you know, and I called Prince, like, Prince. You know, like, I'm breathing hard. Prince, Greg Filling Games wouldn't be in the band. You know, and Prince like so like I'm not, but it's it's Greg Filling Games. You know, Greg Filling Finally God is is him, and he's like I got you, and I'm like yeah, but I ain't Greg Filling Games. Like you know, he's like man, he's he said Greg is dope, but they're all hired guns. It's like they they just you know they go gig to get where the money is and what all this kind of stuff. He says like yeah, Greg's a dope guy, but I got you, and I'm like yeah, but I ain't Greg Filling Games, bro. I mean that's that's great. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, I like my own crew, man. I like people that's going to just like, you know, it ain't about what gigs we're doing. Like, we hang when we ain't working. Yeah. You know, we here, you know, yo, everybody's in Minneapolis, man. We, this, this is like family. So it's like we do music and we do, you know, life. Yeah. And so that was the way he was like that, man. And it was just like, wow. And that was like crazy to me because I'm like, dude, that's one of the greatest dudes in the history of the game. And he was like, yeah, but I got you. And I'm like, well, who wants that? I mean, like, you, know, you, know, you got great. But so that's one heck of a compliment. Just once again. Yeah. It's a heck of a compliment, man. And and that's what I'm saying. That's why, that's why I love this brother uh, forever, man, because, like I said, I I, I could have easily been replaced. Chucky Booker, like some of the cats that I I could call them. And I, I offered up these guys when I left the first time and said, well, Prince, if you want Chucky, I know Chucky. And blah blah blah, and he's like, "Oh no, man! I'm like, I'm, I, I, you know, you're my guy." And I'm like, I'm like, wow, yeah. like that's crazy, you know. Well, so, uh, I find you know, it crazy that, that to hear you say this. Though. I mean, I've heard Eric Leeds say the same thing about like David Sanborn. Why didn't he pick him? And then when Maceo joined the band, he's like, "Well, there you go. That's the guy you should have had all along," you know. But the the reality is that I don't think it would have worked necessarily having these guys no you know no as, as much no, as they are great tell you something. Eric Leeds. he was right yeah but the thing prince was always crew oriented and uh and uh i'm sorry this has been a good interview but i'm gonna have to flip my earpieces because these just died so hang okay. on a second okay Okay, let's see if this works any better. I just had to put some fresh ones in. Let's see. Can you hear me? Yeah, no problem. Contingency. Yeah, perfect. Okay. Okay, great. So, so Eric was, you know, it's it's the thing is though, man. Prince has always been crew oriented. He wanted his own crew, his own people, and Eric was, you know, him and him and Atlanta were just crazy. Like I, I did a thing with George Clinton once at the at the Glam Slam, and and I and I sat there while we were rehearsing on the stage for for the, the thing while they, uh, Eric in Atlanta set up and rearranged all of those horn parts, for every song with the two of them revoiced everything, and it was unbelievable what they were able to do. Eric had a thing that was his own thing that was just like, yeah, there's Maceo, yeah, there's you know some of these other cats. 
but this is one of the coolest dudes that you you know he had a great look he had a great vibe you know and he could kill absolutely kill the only thing that would happen with eric sometimes is him and prince were just like they were like this they both kind of halfway hated each other but they were so both so good they had to deal with each other because every time eric got a chance to kind of stab him he would and every time prince got to get his he would but they knew he knew that, that that they were both at the top of their games you know what i'm saying and he had respect for eric because he was that cat you know what i'm saying and so and I, and so did i i love whenever i got a chance to play with eric because he's he's a beast a beast of a horn player he's got he's got his own tone he's got his vibe and like that and, and he's a, just a, he's a sarcastic fuck but he man but he's a dope cat man he's just a dope dude and those- you can't say nothing are there uh, any other band members uh, that are, are proper beasts that you think are, are undervalued by the fan community? Oh, man. I think Prince, I think Levi Prince is like, super talented. Yeah. Prince told me about Levi. He told me one time about Levi when I first got in the band. Uh, what he said about Levi, he says, he says, I like Levi because he's like the other side of my brain. He says, um, uh, he, he says, whenever I just, whatever lick I'm thinking to do, whenever he break down where it's him and Levi, they automatically knew where to go uh, on, on each other. And he says, that's what I like about Levi. He says, he's the other half of my brain. He just he just plays exactly what I think, you know, ought to be there. And then he told me about Sonny. He said, Sonny, what I love about Sonny, uh, and Sonny used to beat Prince up in school. Prince told me a story about how him and this guy named Daryl Boudreaux used to basically take turns beating him up. And it's almost like it's, you, you beat him last week, right? So I got him this week. Mm. But, but but I said so, and he's in your band. But but the bottom line, he said the thing about Sonny, he says Sonny is a computer. He said to put in and he spits it out. It's just like he's a computer. And he's just like and he told me at the end, man. Um, Prince got this powder blue Stratocaster, and uh, he he was showing it to me, and he told me he says, man, I always wanted a Strat like this. He said, uh, uh, because he said Sonny had one when we were growing up. And he said, I always wanted that guitar. It was one of the most beautiful guitars. He says, like this powder blue with this white pit guard. He said, I just love that Strat. And he said, when I got this one, he said, I named it Sonny. And I, and Sonny wasn't playing with him at the time. And I wouldn't, I, I, call, I called Sonny and I said, Sonny, man, I said, Prince just got this blue Strat, man, this powder blue Strat. And he named it Sonny. And I'm like, what? I said, yeah, man, he named his guitar after you, man. Chris played that guitar to the end, man. And, uh, and But he told me, he said, I always wanted one. And uh, and he said, I finally got this one, like just like Sonny used to have. And he said, and I said, man, I said, Sonny, that's a hell of an honor, bro. This dude named one of his guitars after you. That guitar probably now is worth a trillion dollars. It's just like, and, and just to have that happen despite the fact that he used to have that tumultuous relationship with Sonny. He said, Sonny taught him a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. I remember when Prince said in an interview, they would ask him, like, who's your hero? Like, would it be Jimmy or, or whoever? And he said, Sonny. And they're like, who is Sonny? They're like, you know, he said, Sonny. That's where I learned from. Yeah. Prince told me he used to look in his window in the basement and, and watch Sonny. Him and, uh, him and Andre would watch Sonny through the basement window. And then Sonny would like, come on in here, you know, kind of thing. And uh, and that's just incredible to me, man. It's just like the history of the Minneapolis Sound and and all of those guys and how all of that with flight time and with Morris Day and all of this stuff worked out. 
as an outsider coming in, it was amazing to hear these stories like folklore and and how uh, just like all of these, this, it's just like the beginning of a, like uh, the Hobbit or something, man. It's just it's crazy. So, uh, Morris, we really appreciate your time. It's an amazing conversation. I'll just squeeze in a few Patreon questions. Sure. Um, yeah. One from uh, a man named Biggs. Not Biggs, Briggs. So I don't mean me. Okay. A man named Briggs. Uh, Tony, uh, he wanted to know what the first concert you ever went to was. Uh, my first concert was James Brown. James Brown? Uh, and he... My mom, James, James Brown, yeah. It was my brother's 17th birthday, and she took me and my brother to see James Brown in Little Rock, Arkansas. Oh, awesome. What lineup? It was, Maceo and, Fred, and, okay. it was Maceo and Fred and those guys, uh, and I think uh, uh, Melvin was playing on drums at the time. Uh, and I think Maceo told me, that's when I think when he met his wife, she was one of the dancers. And because um, I told Maceo about it when I started playing with Maceo. I told him, I said, man, my first concert, man, was James. Y'all came to Little Rock, man. And and I told him about this one particular part in the show where uh, James Brown, they, they had turned on these strobe lights. And James was doing this thing in these strobe lights. I'd never, it was like the wildest thing I'd ever, I'd never seen strobe lights used at a concert. Well, I've never been to a concert. So they used it. And James just looked like he was just moving like a robot. It was just the craziest thing. And I just remember Telling Macy, like, yeah, Mace, did y'all turn on the strobe light? And then Jay Brown, he did a jump in the air with a split, and it just looked like it was slow. It was, I went by, I saved up enough money to buy my own strobe light, man. When I was a kid, I'd saved up enough money and bought a strobe light and turned the lights off my room and then just mess with the strobe light, man. Like, I had this thing, and it just do like this whole thing, man. It was, it was a very influential concert for me. Uh, to see James Brown. That was my first concert. Um, when, one for Tracy Norman. Uh, she wanted to know what your favorite Prince song and album are. Well, there, there's two songs that I, I get that question a lot. And the, two of my favorite songs to play. And they both kind of came off the same album, and just, which is a shock because Prince has many, many great records, man. It's hard to pick. But I do so love for whatever reason, I love Question of You. It's, it's a song he does, it's only one verse. And then it's just this incredible guitar solo and this, this, this background claps and choral thing that he does. And it's like one of my favorite tunes. Uh, uh, and the other uh, songs on that same, on that same album. Uh, and Prince, you know, of course, has Sign of the Times, which everything on that record slaps. Like, it's like everything on that record is crazy. And, and so many other, 1999 was crazy. But but um, uh, Joy and Repetition and, and uh, Question of You are like two of my favorite songs to play. Cause it's like, I can visually, I can close my eyes and I can see just him telling this story about this and Joy and Repetition. You know, I can see it just like uh, Dorothy Parker's one of my favorite songs. And I can see this, this story that as he lays it out and, 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 you know, I asked Prince one time about what he thought he was the best at. And he told me, he says, um, he says, um, he says, you know, Morris, at the end of the day, I'm a poet. I'm a songwriter. Mm. He says, I hate bad lyrics. And uh, he says, I, I think I'm a bit better as a lyricist. And I said, you know what, Prince, I'm 100 with that. And I completely agree that lyrics is the best thing that you do because 
I go through some eras where I didn't like the keyboard sounds. You know, I'm a keyboard buff, so I didn't like when he just used one keyboard to do every part on the record. It just like uh, to me, and it, but but it's like if I take away the music on any of his songs, I don't care whether I like the music or not. If goes up some stuff I like, I love some stuff not so much. But if I take away the music, all of it's great because he always got something to say lyrically. That's every song has a different thing that it does in a, in a piece. He told me the most every song should have at least one special thing. It should have something in it that's special. And and that was his lyrics. And he could take anything I could peel away if I read. Because we used to get lyric sheets for me, it was important because I needed to know when I'm playing vocal samples and I'm doing stuff, what am I, I had to get the lyrics in my head. And I would read all of these lyrics because, you know, on the old, some of the old stuff, I'm like, I don't know what this means. Like, what does Purple Rain mean? Like, you, you, you have to really get deep into, like, like, what does that mean? And so sometimes in order for me to kind of get it, I need to look at the lyrics and just, like, read it as a piece of poetry. And that's what you could do with Prince's music. You could just read it and understand that this is what, this is a cat that's thinking about, I don't like bad lyrics, Morris. I don't like bad lyrics. This bothers me. And so he spends the time to make sure that that's right. And I think that's one of the things that pops for me. Uh, no people names. often ask, oh. sorry, can I just jump in? Yeah, yeah, people often ask the question, uh, how much of, of uh, how much is in the vault? And the question that I like to ask to people who are around him is, how much of his talent have we heard? Because there might be a thousand it's, other songs in the vault. Or it's, it might be the same. It's pattern. still this is the, this is the thing. There's been a lot of bootlegs. There's been a lot of stuff, and a lot of people think there's not much left. There's a lot of stuff in the vault. I used to go in there and just look around. Um, back when I used to go in the vault, then and then toward the end, it got to where you know he just went in the vault. But back when I would go in there with the engineers and just look at stuff, I'd just be like, "What is all of this?" He had filled the vault up back in the '90s. There wasn't any room. There was stuff on the floor, stuff all over the place. And then it got into the pre-vault, which wasn't like airtight and managed like the vault was. The vault was like hermetically sealed and, you know, so you don't have this oxidation that happens with a lot of these tapes. But, but man, it got beyond that and just started stacking up all out in the, in the pre-vault where a lot of his awards and plaques and stuff like that, he didn't have room for all that stuff. So he just had a room. They just put all these gold records and, Platinum records, all of this stuff over here in the corner, put the tapes in the corner and just like stuff was everywhere, man. There's a ton of stuff in there. Not only that, Prince recorded like rehearsals, shows, uh, like all of this stuff, man, that all of them's different. He can put out stuff for the next decades, man. To me, that's what of the stuff that I managed to see. And I didn't see everything because I, you know, I wasn't up in everything, but I mean, I saw what I saw. And it was a lot. So, man, he's, they could curate stuff about, out of there forever, man. Yeah. I've heard you talk about uh, Crystal Ball, where he played that to you. And you were like, who's playing the drums? That's me. Who's playing the bass? That's me. Do you think there's anything in the vault that you're aware of that would kind of show the level of talent far in excess of what we've already had? I, I think so. I think there's stuff in there like that because he went and pulled that record out 
and just 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 blew me away, man. Because I, I knew it was dope. I mean, I knew Prince was cold and everything, uh, and could really. But I just had no idea uh, when he played that song because the long version is just changing like tempos and and everything is just flowing like this, and it's just like I'm like Prince, how do you do that? This song's like. 10, 15, 10, 12 minutes long or something like this. I'm like, so you played the, all the way through with the drums and he just, and all the way through with the bass, blah, 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 blah. And he says, everything is done in my head, Morris. He says, I see it finished and it's all in my head. So all I'm doing really is executing. I'm just executing these parts that I, that I have in my head. I know how it's supposed to go. So I can play the drums for 15 minutes and then I can play the bass for 15 minutes and I know that's all gonna fall in. I've watched him do it, man. And I'm like, then this is, and since so a lot of people throw the genius word around pretty loosely, I'm telling you, man, based on what I saw this dude, he is a freaking genius. He is a Mozart of our time. That's what I came to the conclusion. I used to talk to him about was his favorite movies and stuff. He told me his favorite movie at the time. But one of the first time I asked him, it was Amadeus. And I had never seen Amadeus at that point. And I went back and looked at it. And I said, oh, snap. This, I, I totally get it. Why wow, that's his favorite movie. That's him. That's the, the whole, I said, that's him. I get it, it's that movie. Then when The Matrix came out, that was his, you know, he got on The Matrix tip because now he's coming into the awareness of the, the society and the world. So that became his new thing was The Matrix, you know, because he really loved that the Warshawski brothers and, the, and how they were breaking down this movie. So I, I completely give, but Amadeus, man, you see, he said that's his favorite movie. And when I watched it, I was like, oh my God. And he told me his favorite scene was when, when he's like, you know, this is what I think you mean when you, and played the guy's song. Cause he was, as he's walking in, he's memorizing. And so he's like, yeah, yeah. I would like you to hear this. He said, yeah, I, I heard it already when I was walking in. And, and then just played it. I was like, oh my God, that, that's Prince. He said, this is what I think you mean. You know? And I said, yeah, that's, I said, I, I said, Prince, I, I went back to him after I saw it. And I said, bro, I, now I know why that's your favorite movie. I said, that, that, that's that's because that's you. Uh, it, you know, just like that, you know. Yeah. Uh, so our Patreon, No Names, he has a question for you. He really likes the song Chlorine Bacon Skin. He wanted to know your thoughts on it. You know, I, personally, Prince played that song for me too, man. When it, when I when we were working on the uh, uh, Crystal Ball uh, record, and he played it for me, and he would do this personality. I used to come like he did. He's tricky, or he had these different personalities that he would uh, the personas that he put on. And one of the funniest parts about it, he would play me the part where uh, at the beginning of the song where he. He, he, you know, he starts to play the drums and then he like drops the stick or he does something and it stops and then the groove comes back in. He played that like five times, man, and we just crack up laughing. And then he's just talking, eh, yeah, don't you like me? And all of the stuff that he's doing in it. And it's just, it was hilarious, you know, just, and he really loved that, man. Like I remember we were working on Exodus. Uh, we left, we had been working on stuff, man. And we left and came back. Prince did about five or six of these segues, man, where he's, doing all these voices and we like, what the hell? Like, what is all of this? Hey, yeah, the, the, the mashed potato girl and all of this. And yeah. it was just like, he just loved 
doing these little voices and you know this, this Italian guy he's doing this and he had me do it I'm Montalbo and I'm doing all of this stuff and it was like comedy man it was just funny for us man and it's just like we love that because we get to laugh at ourselves and um and and have fun like kids man you know we used to and Prince we used to run up and down the hall like we was kids man at Paisley Park and and be at the movie theater he rented the theater out I remember we rented the theater out and uh, we were watching uh, uh, the, the, you know, what is the scary movie? And Carmen was in this movie. And uh, he didn't, I don't think he knew that the scene where he's tied up in the chair was in the movie. And, you know, because when it got to that part, uh, you know, me and Kirk were there with him. And I think my team may have been there at the time, uh, I think. And man, when it got to the part where he was sitting out there in that chair, dude, we took off running down the aisles of the movie theater, man. Like, like just running and hollering and screaming because we were dying laughing. He was so shocked. <laughs> Excuse me. So shocked. He just had that look on his face like, we're like, it's you, it's you. And it was just, man, we just like kids, man. And it's just like that, that kind of stuff, man, I'm telling you. Is the, is the stuff that I really, really, truly miss because it's just like, man, we just like a bunch of kids, man, and just goofing off and watching television and seeing things, you know, like uh, all of the stuff we would do. And it just, it was hard work. It was tough days, but it was a lot of happy days, man, and a lot of uh, cool moments like that, man. Uh, if you do last... write that book of the the anecdotes. Yeah. Can you intersperse those yeah. those types of stories where it's not about the yeah. celebrity, it's these little sort of personal yeah, it's, moments? It's, it's, yeah, that's, that's what the book, uh, you know, what, what the, the thing with my book, uh, The Ticket, is about. It's just about a kid from, from the middle of nowhere who had a dream. I went to see a show. I still have that ticket in my pocket, in my wallet, to where I went to see that show. And said that day that that's my destiny and that's what I intend to do and that's what I did, by the grace of God, I I went in and I did that, and 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 what it's about really, and Prince is involved at at the level of, he was the catalyst for the dream, and and uh, and I just wanted to be about you can make it if you try. We used to talk about uh, song titles, and Prince was all into that because. He loved Sly and the Family Stone. He said, look at the song titles we have today, you know, and look at what we used to listen to when we were coming up more. She said, you can make it if you try. Everybody's a star. Stan. He just would name off these songs by all the different artists like James and I'm Black and I'm Proud. And he would name off these titles, man, and just kind of what we, you know, WAP, what we got now. And, and, and not to knock on nobody, man. You know, artists are... And Prince was all about, you know, you know, Prince was a racy artist himself. He got, you know, Chipper Gore going after him about getting them banned out the, the, the stores. So he didn't know he about racy. And so we, we and he don't seek to encro encroach on anybody's art. But we just saying we want to come from a place of positivity and talk about things that that, that uh, uplift people. And, and when he talked about Sly Stone and Larry Graham and a lot of the people that we listened to back in the day because we talk about how when we heard that there was an album coming out we'd be waiting at the record store to open up just so we could get those records man because 
we knew that there was going to be something special when Stevie came out with something or James came out with something, Sly came out with something, or Graham, you know, uh, Shaka. You know, those were all our heroes and all the people that we uh, loved and, and that we respected and, you know, that we wanted to hear that music, you know. And, and you know, so that, that was just a thing for us, man. And, and I appreciated that, too, because I thought about it, too, like Stan and you know, all of those song titles, man, and, you know, and what they were talking about. So that's what we wanted to emulate, and that's the stuff we like. And we like George Clinton because George was like, you know, Prince always talked about how uh, the difference between Clark Kent and Superman. He said, look at Superman. He don't wear his Clark Kent clothes when he go do work. He look like something different. He look like something elevated because he don't look like everybody else. And he's got powers above and beyond. And he looks like that. He's got a red cape on. He's flying around in some underpants and some boots. You know, that's how Prince wanted to always approach music from a standpoint of like, I'm what he said, Morris, because I'm a, I'm a simple guy, man. I drove my little four-wheel drive and, uh, you know, did my thing. And Prince is like, he said, you're a rock star, bro. And I'm like, me, a rock star, man? It's real. I'm like, I'm not a rock star. You're a rock star, but I'm not a rock star. He's like, yeah, you are. You're a rock star. And he says, so I want you to think like a rock star. I want you to act like a rock star. I want you to look like a rock star. So I don't wear blue jeans around all the time. And you, but I'm like, I got to go to Target, Prince, sometimes. You know? <laughs> I can't wear what you wear to Target. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, but 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 he was right in in a, in a lot of regards. You know, I just I I I don't mind Prince put on the Superman suit and never put the Clark Kent suit back on. He just stays Superman. I have to be Clark sometimes, and I have to go back and forth because I like my anonymity. I like being to go places and don't nobody know who I am, and um and that's cool for me. Sometimes I can get on the stage and I'm cool, and then I go home and don't nobody know. I'm okay with that, you know. That's that's been my thing, but I do understand what he meant. I do understand that that is the life of a person like him, you know. Michael Jackson couldn't walk out in the public; he had to dress up in all these funny costumes and outfits. Because, and but I always came to know that when I when I decided I wanted to do this type of work, that is that was the pirate's life for me, and I was going to have to deal with what comes with being in that type of scenario. And you'd be at a restaurant sometime and somebody come up to me. Man, I just, I just, this is so weird, man. I was just in Seattle like a week and a half ago. And I got like a, a shoulder issue that's like, like frozen shoulder kind of thing. And so uh, my executive producer, uh, Zoe, had this stuff that I, I had hurt my shoulder. I'm like, oh my God. She said, Morris, I got this stuff on my knee. She put this stuff on me and it just instantly stopped what was hurting. And I said, where did you get, what did, oh my God, what is this? And, it, and she said, it's some kind of like CBD, something. So I said, Zoe, I, I don't know what this is, but I got to have it. Where, did, where in the world did you get it? We go over to this place, man. And there's some kind of, you know, like a place where I've never been to a dispensary before, like in, like in a dispensary. So you have to have like a, like a they have like a, a, a security person. You have to have ID and you go through this whole business. I go in there, man, and get some shoulder medication. Two seconds later, this, this the security guard that's like checking me in, uh, checking our ID to let us in and everything. He comes up to behind me like, are you the Morris Hayes to play with Prince George Clinton? Um, yeah, like, <laughs> I knew it, man. I knew it, bro. Like, I got to be in. And, I'm, and I was like, dude, this is so wacky to me because I don't even be thinking like that, man. I'm just in here getting some arm sad, man. 
And this dude is freaking out, man, because he's like, I knew it was you. And and like and Zoe's like, what the like, can I take you anywhere, bro? Like, and I'm like, that don't happen to me all the time. And I just kind of forget sometimes about that aspect of my life. And I'm just like, I'm just a customer getting some something from my shoulder. And he freaked out, man. And just like, and it's just like sometimes you just have to go like, God dog, I guess Prince was right. Like, I'm in Seattle. I man, it's like I, you know, I'm disconnected, man. And he's like, can I take a picture? I said, yeah, sure. In front of the sign, I'm like, no, no, I don't endorse the pot places. <laughs> Sorry, bro. But uh, but it just was one of those reminders of what he always told me. He said, man, you can go anywhere, and this is what this is your life. This is what happened to you. We used to go to clubs and just watch the crowd. He called it text energy. He said, just watch. You're gonna sit here, Morris, and just just wait for a few minutes and watch what happens to the clubs. And sure enough. People would be spread out when we first get in, and a few minutes, the crowd is slowly trickling. And so now there's this this entire crowd of people that are looking at us like fish in a tank. And it would happen everywhere we go. And he said, "That's just vortex energy, Morris. This is what it is. You're you're a rock star." I'm saying, "Man, Prince, it ain't me. It's you, dude. Ain't nobody checking for me. They all checking for you." But that's just he's just trying to convince me this is the life we live. And this is what it is. This is brother. This is rock and roll. Thank you. Good night. So that <laughs> when, you're know, that's in just Ace, when you're in Ace Hardware in Chanhassen, vortex happened around the lock section. <laughs> but nobody was bothering me. It didn't get to be a situation until he came in with his furry boots and turtleneck. That's when it got out of hand. So <laughs> that's why I'm saying. That's why my argument to him, like, see, I can go anywhere. And it's fine. It's just when you come in, we get the drama. So that's all that was, man. But it, it's still great, man. I, I, you know, I wouldn't change it for anything, man. I, it, it, was a, it was an incredible time in my own life. It changed the trajectory of, of, of my life. I did. Uh, the Prince took care of me, and I took care of my family. And, uh, you know, I'm forever grateful for that, you know, yeah. uh, because he didn't have to do it, man. I, I'm, bro. I'm the worst keyboard player this dude ever had. But I can tell you this, he kept me around a long time. I don't know exactly why, but he did. And I'm just grateful for that. Whatever the reason he had was like, you're a puppy in the woods. I got to look after you more. She just, you'll get chewed up if I don't. I don't care what it was. I'm just grateful that he did. You know, I'm I'm, I'm honored and grateful. Well, I I have two. I think everyone would would know. Yeah. Yeah. I have two last questions for you on my end. Uh, sure. Morris, we have a mutual friend, Sam, and uh, she wanted me to ask you, why did you always get picked to play drunk characters? That is something because, I, because I've never been drunk. I don't even drink. So yeah. it's a, that's the funny part about it. Uh, you know, I, so I just always thought Richard Pryor was the greatest, uh, the comic Drunk, well, not the greatest, because what's the one guy who's only he only did like the drunk character all of the time? Uh, gosh, what's his name? Uh, I used to love him because he would be the drunk in all his stuff, and he was just phenomenal from back in the day in the back in the sixties. And uh, he used to be on Johnny Carson a lot, but but I always thought that was funny. And Richard Pryor was always he played a great drunk, you know. And and I used to sneak and listen to my brother's Richard Pryor. When my mom and dad would leave and my brother was at school or whatever. 
I listened to his Richard Pryor record, and whenever Richard Pryor would play the drunk dude, like, you know, whenever he'd be the preacher or drunk man, I, that's, and that's what made me love comedy, and that's what made Prince love comedy so much. And I would just listen and listen to these Richard Pryor records, and I, and, and him and him drunk, and then I just would incorporate that into my thing, like, yeah, you know, <laughs> and, you know, and it just because they just get into this thing, you know, and they're like, hey, and they mispronounce where Mister Piss Off is. I just tell you this way and everything. <laughs> you know, it just was, it was great. And I just used to love it, man. It's because it was just funny to me because I used to see a lot of drunk cats in the neighborhood, you know, back in the day when there was a lot of us in, in the town here. And cats would just, they get their little Friday night jam on. I used to own a pool hall, me and my brother. Uh, when we were kids at our old house, we just, that was the way we made our allowance. And I used to make a bunch of money, man. I made like 600 bucks a week back then. That was a gang of money, bro. Oh, yeah. You know, kids in school. I was in like junior high making, you know, on an average of two, two to two to $600. It was that much, 600 when we first started, of course, as things tapered off, then the money would go down. But it was the only place in town that people come shoot pool, play pinball, and, and play the seabird, man. That's what we call the, the juke. And uh, that, you know, and when we got that first take and we made all that money, we were like, we're rich, we're rich, you know, it was just that much money on the first week, uh, you know, whenever they would come and take the money out of the, the pool table and all those stuff, you get their split and you get your split. And it was like me and my brother, our split was $600. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> my dad, I don't even know if make that much money. So it was crazy, man. And so, yeah. You know, and that's another thing, you know, we just, you know, and I just used to love that, man. It was just funny. But, uh, but yeah, man, that, that's why I guess I get the drunk roles because I can play them pretty good. Yeah. Absolutely. There you go, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> this is the speech. Yeah, fantastic. Sam. <laughs> I did it. I think we've got enough questions for another round uh, at some point down the line what's what's next for you because i've had the, the privilege of seeing you i, I, I kind of lost count maybe five times with the mpg since prince passed um i had the, the real privilege of sitting in on soundcheck in new york and that was phenomenal to see that the, the work ethic that was instilled in you guys and i think is naturally in you is is you know completely absolutely still there it was as, as if i was watching Prince rehearsed that band. Um, what? Were you, you put some uh, songs on SoundCloud. What are you working on outside yeah. of the MPG stuff? Well, I got this really dope song out right now with this girl, uh, Lisa Dietrich. That's awesome, man. It's it's called uh, Sugar, and it's on it's on all of the platforms now. But it's on it's got like a hundred and last time I checked, like a hundred and thirty thousand views after about two weeks. I think it's been out about a couple weeks now. And uh, and it's a kind of a big band song that we did like almost 10 years ago, like 2013, 2014. And she and I started working on Bette Midler, liked it, brought it into a rehearsal to, to learn. Um, but we decided to just redo it uh, this time with like a kind of a big band sound. I kind of modeled the stuff myself uh, when we wrote it. And, um, but this time we decided we got Harvey Mason, a senior on it, uh, like like um, uh, Chick Corea's bass player, 
like all of these people like that that are on it the, this guy Letty Garcia uh Phil uh, our horn ranger for Prince uh Phil is on there um uh, Phil Lasseter and uh yeah. so we just did it man and it's phenomenal it's a it's one of one of my best pieces of work uh, and, and Lisa you know she brought this tune to me and I just built it up and we we really made something special uh with this song man and it's a, it's a it's a piece that I'm very proud of uh, you know, it sounds like big boy. You know, I, I love Jam and Lou. They're the two of my heroes and two of my mentors. And I always want to try to like do things on that level and like Prince and, and do things on that level. I feel like this is something that I can sit alongside of things that, that they do that's of quality. And I and I want to do work like that, you know, and do quality work. And so it's it's just like I'm very fortunate, man. I got to, to like an EDM thing I did with my guy David Alexander who's a longtime friend of mine um, and right now I just had some zoom calls today and yesterday uh, it looks like I'm going to Cambodia and I'm going to, to Pakistan uh, to do uh, I have a thing called global Goo for peace that I, I when I was living in China I lived in Shanghai for almost a year and I uh, I, I met a lot of people and I did some music and you know I started like coming up as an artist myself. I never looked at myself like I could be my own artist. And living in China kind of like retooled my thinking about that. And I'm now working on my own records and uh, to do my own show and things like this, you know. And and it's and I'm working with this this the people in Cambodia. Is, uh, um, I'm working out to develop it all, but it, it, I'm writing music for like the princess uh, of Cambodia. So it's like, wow. it's really awesome, man, because all of this stuff is just kind of like baking right now. I'm probably speaking you know, too soon on it, but I'm, I'm just putting it in that it's like it's, it's done and I'm looking at it in a positive way that it's going to come to completion and come to fruition. And so, uh, but, I'm, I'm, you know, it's funny too, because, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, um, things that kind of turn, you know, that didn't go great. You know, and there's been a lot of downtime with the MPG, you know, there, there were some things, you know, that we had to sort out with our naming situation. Like we had, a, you know, our license to use a name and now, uh, the, you know, our time ran out for that. And now they're going to do what they're going to do with the MPG name and stuff like that. And so I've just had to, we just had to kind of pivot. We got a lot of music that we wrote in uh, L.A. a year and a half ago, couple, almost a couple of years ago now. And that we want to have come out, that we want that music to come out, that we did some good music that the MPG did. So it's a lot of things we got to kind of figure out and kind of do, man, but it's all good, you know, because um, I think we got good stuff. And, and I'm just, you know, just trying to keep a hustle, man, and just do what I've learned to do. You know, Prince taught us all a lot of stuff. If we're not successful, it's not Prince's fault. It's our own fault for whatever we don't do. Uh, he gave us a name, you know, people know Mr. Hayes because of my time with Prince. And I, I spent a lot of time around watching this man uh, doing what that doesn't mean. I know everything, you know, obviously I don't got his records. So I don't obviously know what Prince, but I learned a lot. And so I want to take what I did learn. And, you know, and a lot of it was just like sometimes when you live in the shadows of somebody so great, you know, especially somebody like me, you know, you got you you don't feel confident about your own stuff, and I got to come out and do something behind Prince. He's like very cautious. You know, almost have a mentality of like, 
I'd rather not put nothing out than have something out that sucks and then you just get lambasted for it. But I'm learning to just like, hey, you know what? Everything ain't for everybody. And, and, and you know, just, you know, somebody, I've, I've, man, I've heard some songs that like I wouldn't say is like poo-poo and like, but somebody likes it and it speaks to somebody. And so I'm learning to just like trust the process, do what resonates with you, that from the heart reaches the heart. So that's what I'm trying to you know, indoctrinate myself with now. Even at this point, and as, as much as I've done, I have my own insecurities, I have my own self-doubts and things like that that I have to work through. And so what I'm doing now, whenever I talk about these types of things, uh, what I'm trying to do is help somebody else to like, you know what, put all your fear aside, put all your other stuff aside. We just have to just keep it moving and do the best we can and try to enjoy your life, man. Life is short. Just put your music out. And everybody ain't gonna like it. Everybody don't have to like it. You know, if you like it, then put it out, man. We got the, we don't need a record deal anymore. We don't, you know, we got instant distribution on the internet. Everybody's got instant distribution and everything. You just don't have an advance. You don't have a promotion team. You have yourself, you have your voice. So put your stuff out, man, and let it do what it do. If you got 10 people that like and it, it's 10 more than you have. Uh, Morris, this this was an absolute incredible time. It's, it's um, been awesome. It maybe down the road we could revisit this again because I know both of Absolutely. us keep asking you a lot of questions. So, um, so I'll do my sign off, and then uh, I'll just get you to hang on for one second, and then we'll. All right. So again, big thank you to the Solitary Adventure as always, and again, Mr. Hayes, thank you so much for your time. It's greatly appreciated. And remember, guys. Thank you, brother. Practice hard, practice smart. On keyboard too, there you keyboardists out there. No excuses. We'll see you soon. Thank you so much. That was awesome. Thank you, Morris. Thank you, brother. Fantastic. Thank, Thank you, you so guys. much. I appreciate you, fellas. Man. Thank um, you, guys. Thanks for being so generous with your time and pushing through the the tech problems. No worries, and man. We have been trying rocket. to set this up, man. Thank you, Chris, Ryan. I appreciate you guys' you. time. And, and you know, like I said, I anytime. We do this is all good, man. I, I've had a great life, and if somebody can take away anything that's going to help their situation as artists and, and and move ahead, you know, that's what it's all about. That's the reason why I'm happy to talk about stuff is because there can be some people just like me to just say, "Hey, man, I'm gonna take a shot at it, man, and just just go for it." You know what I mean? Yeah. Then that's that's yeah. that's worth it, man. So yeah. Thank you, guys. I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you so much. You stay in good health, and we'll we'll see you down right. the road. Thanks, Morris. Thank you, brother. Y'all take care, man. Yep. Peace. Bye-bye.